0: There was an idea.
1: Rambo, I come to bargains.
2: Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Asking Robbins always finds out. I'm for the faster, baby. Are you Tony's stank? I
1: am Iron Man.
3: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required at MCU Retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo. I am joined by two of the boys. We've got Robbie here. We've got Chris here. Peach is off uh, gallivanting over in the Caribbean on a cruise doing something like that. But in his stead, you've heard her emails and we're ready to to give voice to those emails. We've got Lindsay here. Lindsay, how are you?
2: I'm well, happy to be joining you live on the cast.
3: So Lindsay, uh, before we go any further, typically what we'll have a guest do is let us, uh, even though we've already gotten a lot of this information from your email, uh, emails, excuse me, that have your top five Marvel movies of all time and maybe get a little bit of your, your background into the Marvel world.
2: Yeah, Um. for any new listeners or ones who skipped through the email section of previous episodes, my top five are tied for number one, Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor Ragnarok, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and then rounding out my top five, there's Ant-Man, the first one, and Black Panther, which I said before and I'll say it again, I think is the best made movie of the MCU, but... It gets me triggered, and it's a little too depressing for the rewatch, so it's down at number five. And my background with the MCU, even though I'm someone who rewatched all these more recently just to follow along with the podcast, I actually saw most of them in theaters when they came out. I saw 17 out of 23 of phases one through three opening weekend in the theaters, which is a lot of movies to see for someone who doesn't consider themselves a Marvel fan, but it's part of the zeitgeist, so I gotta follow it along and not see all the spoilers online so i'm out there watching this stuff as soon as it comes out so i can follow uh what's going on so i know a lot about something that i'm mildly opinionated on despite the heat in those emails
3: (sighs) (laughs) those things were they were spicy uh but they're good spicy Lindsay, I think it's cool that you came up here and with a straight face, you told us that Ant-Man and the Wasp was in your top five movies of, all, of the MCU. I think that's really cool that, <laughs> that you, you stuck to your guns on that one, and I think the world would probably tell you otherwise, but it's just something that you think is cool, and I think that's awesome.
2: I mean, it's the only thing that came out in phase one through three with the female character in the title. Captain Marvel? Is Captain Marvel technically... Oh, you're that? right. I guess... Yeah, no, it's in phase three. I just It was the first, out. but
4: they came out like, like they were... It was Ant-Man and, Ant- and the Wasp and then Captain and, Marvel. And then they immediately were...
1: after... Right.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it was the yeah, first like, one like, oh my god, out.
4: we have to make up for lost time.
2: Yeah, and the Black Widow So we got Black
4: Widow and... Just...
2: Didn't sit well with me. I don't like all this brushed aside-ness. So it's going to be there. Top five. Stand by it.
3: Uh, well, today we're going to be talking all about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Before we do that, want to let you know that you can support this very podcast over at patreon.com slash assembly required. We have a ver- brand new Avenger-level patron. He just uh, promoted up to Avenger status, it's Adrian. So Adrian, welcome to the Avenger crew, along with Brian and Riley. We thank you so, so much. And if you want to support the show, join our Patreon exclusive Discord, uh, join some of our community nights. You can do so over at patreon.com slash assembly required. Now, before we get into the meat of the movie, Chris, we want to talk a little bit about the, the, the character. We usually do this about the character in the comics, but this one's going to be a little different because I think the creation of this character is very contentious, not contentious, but it is very controversial, could be a word. It's, it's
4: weird, is what right. it is. Sure. Uh, so I'll just get into it. So the story of the character Shang-Chi actually begins in 1913. Sax Romer, it was a pen name for a British guy whose real name I've forgotten, but he had like five names because he was British, when he published his book, The Mystery of Dr. Fu Manchu. Now, you've probably heard of Fu Manchu, or at least of the mustache. Uh, Fu Manchu was basically an early supervillain. Uh, he was a mad scientist and master manipulator who worked behind the scenes to advance his evil plots. He was also super racist uh, and emblematic of the Yellow Peril. Which so, if to, you're not
3: to be clear, Fu Manchu himself wasn't racist. He was no, a racist. No. He he wasn't out. He was there. a racist caricature. Right. Racist he wasn't caricature. out there being like, I hate all other races. He yeah, He no. was a racist caricature, but he wasn't yes. even racist. Yeah.
4: Yeah. The 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 writer was uh yeah. Well.
3: Oh, he was super racist.
4: Yeah. So so the yellow peril was a racist idea that was popular, very popular in the nineteenth and twentieth centuries, and arguably there you know we're still feeling effects of it today. Uh, but basically, what it did was this viewed people of east and southeast asia as a threat to the quote-unquote western world uh so yeah that portrayal of asians as subhuman all that kind of you know horrible horrible racist stuff in fact uh sax Romer uh got the idea for fu manchu when he and his wife were playing with a ouija board and they asked the spirits what would uh what will make us rich and it spelled out what John Mulaney once called the laziest racial slur, uh, because it's just two words smushed together. Uh, but the uh, for for a, a Chinese man, so it spelled that word out, and they're like, "Okay, the spirits have told us that I'm going to I should write about this," and that's where he got the idea for Fu Manchu. Like, you can't make that up. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so Fu Manchu became a very very popular uh, character in pulp novels uh he appeared in over a dozen books uh over the decades uh you know well into like the 70s and 80s even uh as well as in films uh radio shows tv shows and comic books which we will get to in a moment so in the 1970s kung fu was big uh like there was kind of a kung fu craze in the, in the us and in the early 1970s Steve Enkelhart and Jim Starlin, uh, two comic creators that we have talked about uh, on the show before, approached DC because they had a pitch to adapt the TV show Kung Fu, which starred David Carradine. Uh, and they brought it to DC because DC, even even in the 70s was owned by Warner and this was a Warner Brothers television show. And DC was not interested. They said the show is not going to last. we don't we're not interested. So they went to Marvel uh, with the idea of doing a kung fu comic series and marvel agreed but only if they could incorporate fu manchu because marvel had the comic book rights to use fu manchu marvel also against the creator's wishes required that the uh main character be half white Engelhart and uh, starlin weren't happy about it but they went along with the editorial mandate that has been retconned now uh that they they just stopped talking about it like even in the 70s they stopped talking about shang chi's white mother who was i believe picked out for her genes by fu manchu you know it was, it,
1: it, yeah yeah
4: that bad, bad stuff bad God. stuff so so they what? did it in the first few issues and then then they like never talked about it again and now in the comics shang chi's mother is based on the character from the movie uh, so uh so we'll get to that in a second so Shang Chi, the character, uh, debuted in 1973 in Special Marvel Edition number 15, which, with issue number 17, was renamed "The Hands of Shang Chi, Master of Kung Fu." Now, the character Shang Chi is a wholly owned Marvel original character who crossed over with other Marvel heroes, appeared in other books, especially in other kung fu. Uh, characters' books, so like, you know, he would cross over with Iron Fist or whatever. Most of his supporting cast came from the novels by Sax Romer and the other various Fu Manchu media. His father in the comics was Fu Manchu, so he is the son of Fu Manchu. Uh, Now, thanks to rights issues, because Marvel no longer has the rights to the Fu Manchu character, it made reprinting the old comics very difficult, first of all, and also it made them so they had to, like, talk around his father They're like oh yes your father the bad guy or they would use uh, different names to describe him and they did eventually retcon that oh he wasn't really Fu Manchu I think they made him an ancient sorcerer or something I don't know how much they even really go into that anymore uh, so so that's Shang-Chi who he, he's even over the years you know he was one of the lesser known Marvel characters but he has his fans and he's one that uh, you know he has his fans among creators as well so a lot of them would be like oh i want to use shang chi in my book uh for example uh gail simone used him in her run on domino uh which was actually very good it was it was a very cool use of him so uh real briefly uh to touch on the mandarin the other big character who we talked about in the iron man 3 episode so we don't really need to revisit that but The Mandarin was another sort of Yellow Peril type character that was the archenemy of Iron Man. Uh, So when Marvel Studios saw the opportunity to use Shang-Chi, you know, to create a film for Shang-Chi, I think they saw an opportunity to make two kind of big things. They're like, well, we can't use Fu Manchun. We wouldn't want to anyway. And I think they looked and saw that this was a great opportunity to try to do the Mandarin character justice. Now I know people disagree—you know, will agree or disagree on how they use the the Mandarin twist in Iron Man Three. I enjoy—I am on the record as enjoying that twist. Uh, but it was—but it was also them trying to avoid, you know, trafficking in those racist tropes with that character. Right. That's why same. Um, um, and they, they got it not as much with the Mandarin, but when they did the same thing with the ancient one in Dr. Strange and, and Kevin Feige has said as much, you know, he kind of regrets how they, not they, you know, the, the ancient one is another like ancient Chinese character in the comics who they made a white woman, a Celtic woman in the, in the films because they were trying to avoid using negative Asian stereotypes when the option was always there to create a character that wasn't stereotyped, but still to use an Asian actor. So I think they saw, and Ben Kingsley is Indian, so he is Asian, uh, not East Asian, but, uh, um, but at least it's not just a, you know, a white guy playing the Mandarin uh, in Iron Man three. But uh, I think they sent opportunity to actually create a Chinese character out of the idea of the Mandarin and uh, and the Mandarin that we see in this and who doesn't even call himself the Mandarin. Uh, so, uh, but Wu is sort of a, um, a hybrid uh, composite of the Fu Manchu character uh, from the comics, Shang-Chi's father, and the idea of the Mandarin from the Iron Man comics and given a much more modern and I think I think they handled it really well, so I think this was a great opportunity to take some seeds that had been planted in you know back in phase two and play with it in a really unexpected and interesting way. Uh, so yeah, very complicated uh, history history lesson for you here
0: So I have three quick thoughts first off, thank you for doing that because and I'll get back to this every episode we've done of this podcast, I have come in with at least some level of knowledge as to what. Uh, prior knowledge of what this this universe and characters were using this is the first time it's been i don't what is this i don't know anything but then i got kind of a question the the rings the power rings in this movie yes are a completely original well, okay not completely there's no analog for that in the comics well right? the man not- the, so, mandarin- so the mandarin's rings right that's what yeah. i'm about to yeah it, it's just it, their rendition of what the mandarin's 10 power rings are right
4: yeah it's because yeah because okay. the mandarin in the comics had 10 rings but there were rings that he wore one on each of his fingers mm-hmm. uh and he found them in a spaceship i believe it was a cave of a crashed spaceship uh from the uh same race of aliens that which i'm blanking the name of, but if you know Fin Fang Foom, the giant alien dragon that wears purple shorts for some reason, uh, that race of shapeshifting aliens uh, created the Ten Rings in the comics, and the Mandarin found them, and that's how he got the powers. And each ring, I think, has a different power. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so instead of having them be finger rings, they're they're bigger. That you know they've reimagined them for the films got uh, in a, what I think was a very visually interesting way
0: uh mac McLuhan.
4: McLuhan, macluin yes thank you thank you (laughs) Um, (laughs) McClunky. yeah uh
0: and then i guess my other one is just now that you've settled that my my thought of this is i don't know anything about shang chi i don't i have not i might literally have been unaware of shang chi period which is saying a lot for how invested i was in marvel for most of my life Mm -hmm. and now that i listened to that and i hated All of it. Um, (laughs) I realized why I didn't know anything about Shang-Chi. And I'm grateful.
4: Yeah, I think he's a character who we're going to be seeing a lot more of in the comics now. Uh, And they've found ways to get away from Mm -hmm. the unfortunate elements of his backstory. I mean, this movie did very well, and I think he's going to become a very popular character.
3: If not already, I think he already is. Yeah.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I know I know. I left the spoilers, but I left the theater saying, wow, can't wait to see more of those guys.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I, um,
3: so. I was really, really excited coming out of this movie. And I went, I did uh, kind of similar to Robbie, but I actually went on Marvel Unlimited and I started looking up Shang-Chi runs to see what I could read to maybe like, Puzzling, Because you know how typically with these Marvel movies, you can point to a run or a series of runs and be like, oh, this is what they were trying to go for with this movie. Mm -hmm. They were looking at pieces from this run and this run, and that's how they got the main story for this. Shang-Chi is maybe the closest thing Marvel has ever come to to a almost original story. They took almost nothing from the comics besides names like the 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 backstory of his parents completely different he technically has a sister in the comics but she's very different i think Mm -hmm. a lot of the villain the mandarin very very different i think a lot of what they cover in this story his whole origin almost all of it is completely original and i think it's important that it was original because the source material is very very poopy it's very Mm -hmm. uh it is not very respectful to the culture and i think from what I've seen from the outside is that they took this property and they handed it to people who would respect the culture, who were from the culture and said, Hey, if you were going to do a culturally respectful version of a story like this, what would you do? And that's kind of what they came out with here. And that's why I uh, spoil alert for what I'm going to talk about this movie, but I think the movie's awesome. And I think it, 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 and it ended up being really cool because of they weren't limited to that. I mean, it's so funny because we always talk about how like, I, I, I have this, this rivalry with Robbie where I butt heads against him about what's comic accurate and what's not comic accurate. Whereas this property succeeds
0: because it's not comic accurate. Yeah, we're not gonna butt heads this time. <laughs> they had a <laughs>
4: Yeah, I, I basically had a blank slate on this one. The uh, the unexpected gift they gave themselves was that when they made the first Iron Man, then like we'll never use the Mandarin. So they did that comic book movie thing where they referenced it by making the terrorist organization the Ten Rings. And now they have this great organization. With the, they were able to give this interesting backstory, and you know, you set up for use in the future.
2: Y'all are Eduardo. You a mentioned a lot of things
4: fell into place.
2: The sister was very different in the comics. Chris, do you have any information on the sister? I am hyper focused on that, and I will be talking about her. Um, I I did not
4: I really only looked at the broad publication history. I didn't do any deep dives of reading or anything, so I don't have okay. any
2: information like on her. what her setup was. Okay.
4: No.
3: So in the in the comics, uh, I I've, I've read a little bit of the most recent run, so they've They've taken, they've gotten fully, like he's the person that's writing him is I believe of Chinese descent. And so they are doing basically a whole new run of Shang-Chi. And uh, I believe the, the story is something like he finds out he has a sister and he finds out that like, he is part of like a group of people that are all like, they are all like human weapons, and they all have like weapon equivalents. And it's like a really weird. It's nothing like how it is in the movie at all. Robbie had mentioned something earlier, and I'm not even going to spoil it for you, Lindsay, because it's going to make I think your head might explode when you hear this. So I'll, we're going to wait till we get there because there's so Robbie,
0: many things I can't wait to talk about. <laughs> oh my, God. Be, he's, I so He mentioned
3: it When you episode. were when you were away for a moment, and now I am like sitting with bated breath, waiting for him to actually say these things. Uh, we should just get into the movie at this yeah. point. So the film begins with a woman narrating in Mandarin the legend of the ten, the ten Rings and the man, Wenwu, who used them to gain power. We watch as he uses them to lead his army, also named the Ten Rings, that's not confusing, over the centuries to topple governments and build his own shadow empire. In 1996, we see that he is obsessed with Talo, a hidden village filled with mystical creatures where residents use a martial arts form they learned from the gods. After getting lost in the shifting woods, he finds the entrance to Talo and meets our narrator, Ying Li, who engages him in a beautifully choreographed fight where he uses the power of the Ten Rings while she taps into the power of nature itself. She is able to take control of the rings and uses them to create an energy blast, defeat Wenwu, but it is clear they are falling for each other. She kamehamehas this man. She... Just straight up energy blast this man. Uh, Lindsay. There's... I hated it.
2: <laughs> I hated it. I hated it. I didn't like it in the theater and this week I rewatched it. I got violently angry. Um, what look is she giving him? This man comes in to attack her and her family and she's we don't see it but she starts with a really cool mask. Second later, mask is gone. Because how is he supposed to know she's pretty with this mask on? And then is smizing at her and like at him and like making all these faces. This woman has terrible taste. Why is she the one defending this village? They put her out there to protect their whole thing. And she really fucked up. Like, I don't
1: think you're wrong.
2: this way later on we meet her sister and her sister must have a lot to say about this woman and i want to hear that <laughs> tv spilt and my sister my sister who was referencing all my emails leah she went on this journey of rewatching, and she has listened to all of your podcasts as well we go into this very deep um she wanted me to make sure to talk about the fact that woman's mask whisked away from frame to frame very cool and then what is this woman doing so um, I want to like that character so much. And then I hate her so much. What What is that flirtation?
3: It's so cool to have somebody with a different perspective on the show because I it feels like we watched two different scenes. And yeah. we didn't really watch two different scenes, but I think what you were looking for out of that scene and what I was looking for out of that scene, and this might be part of like the whole movie for me is what I was looking at. I was like, oh, this is like, crouching tiger hidden dragon this is like this interesting fight scene that's happening with these two people and i didn't read into that subtext at all and i think that's a failure of myself and not anything to do with your opinion of it i think i wasn't looking for that kind of thing at all
2: in the movie theater like i was like cool fighting because i think we'll talk about fight scenes in this movie um they're difficult for me in most action films this one was great uh beautiful scene beautiful Uh, That man was pure evil coming in. And then she's like, "Ah," you know, uh, listener, I'm making uh, the most attractive (laughs) faces I can come up with and failing, but she was really going for it. Uh, And then the rewatch on my tiny television that I have in my home, I was like, wow, on this three inches of her face, I can see so much that I ignored in the theater.
0: I I will say very quickly that... um... I'm with Eduardo. I took different things from this. I love the choreography and the action, but uh, my wife was on your side. She also did not like it.
2: Yeah, I mean, she was just like greeting that man with open legs because it immediately cuts to them having a child. That is the cut in the film. <laughs> it didn't always.
4: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. The um, I was definitely distracted by the beautiful choreography. Uh, I think rewatching it, I was like, oh, okay, but why does she
3: like him? I look, I I am not going to pretend like I know what's happening in this movie. I think maybe, and this is me maybe playing devil's advocate a little bit here. It's supposed to be. Maybe a little metaphorical about them, about how they have similar upbringings. They not similar necessarily upbringings, but because of their their fighting styles and the, the way that they're interacting on the battlefield, they can see a sort of kinship that way. And that's maybe what they were trying to say. Whether they did that successfully or not mm-hmm. is a, is a whole another matter. But that's what I think. What the the message they were trying to get across. Yeah, and
4: and she's telling the story to like her six year old at this point, so. We can maybe assume that she's leaving some but, details out, but, to but, be fair, but we can't assume that
3: if she's the one telling this to her six year old, she also just told her six year old all the horrible shit that her dad just their dad just did. And yes. then about how they fell in love. So it is it is a little weird.
2: Yeah. The narration goes to this is a very, very bad man. Oh man, but he could fight. <laughs> but like, but mm-hmm. I I can fix it. I mean, that's the story of all women dealing with men no i could see what the editing was going for was they met their match and neither of them would have met a similar fighting match like at that level and so i can see why a connection would be made but the illustration was instant love eyes and you're right he was she's narrating to her child at that time so i know you're going to glean over some stuff but she didn't you know cut out all the uh bad stuff he did
1: yeah
3: and he did do a lot of bad stuff and continues to do a lot of bad stuff.
2: This is the first time I
3: met your father, she narrates. And we see she is talking to her young son, Shang-Chi. She tells him that all from ta are granted power by the great protector, the dragon who guards their village. She gives Shang-Chi a pendant that she says will always lead him home. This is another thing about this scene that maybe is a little different. I don't know how much of these stories Excuse me, come culturally, right? I don't know if these are sort of like cultural stories about like how much of this is pulled from like old folklore, how much this is pulled from old Chinese mythology, what kind of interactions men and women have in countries like that because uh, you know, things can be very different over there and I think that type of interaction maybe could be something that is considered uh, and this is me just speculating. I think that there are maybe some things that we as Americans, even though this movie, I think is, I th- you could you could see that this movie is definitely made for Americans, but I think they're trying to pull a lot from that that Chinese mythology and and ancestry, and so I could see them pulling some th- thematically pulling some things like that from there. Uh, once again, whether the execution is successful is is to the beholder.
4: Here's something interesting, Talo. It appears, according to the Marvel Wiki, only appeared in two comics, Thor comics in 1980.
3: I mean, yeah, I, when I, mean, I say no. when I tried to look up some of this stuff uh after I went to the movies, I mean, I tried to look up almost all of it, and I could find very close to nothing. In the present, we see Shang-Chi has moved to San Francisco, adopted the name Sean, and now works as a valet at a fancy hotel with his best friend since high school, who likes to take the CRS... <laughs> CRS, they park for wild joy rides. <laughs> At dinner with their friends, John and Sue, Sean relates a story of how he and Katie met when she protected him from a bully's racist taunts by getting between them and screaming the lyrics to Hotel California. Sue suggests that as valets, maybe they should consider growing up and living to their full potential, remarking that Katie graduated from Berkeley. Slightly offended, Sean and Katie decide to spend the rest of their night staying out late and doing karaoke. I think from the second I I'm gonna do my best to pronounce his name correctly. Simu Liu and Aquafina are on screen together. You can immediately feel a chemistry between these two characters, and I think it is one of the strongest parts of the whole movie. I think that relationship between Aquafina and between um, Katie and and Sean Sean whatever he likes to go by at the time. I think it's it's really I think it's a really cool part of this movie. I think. I don't know if they're gonna head that way in the future I do think it's cool that we don't end up with a oh they kiss at the end because you know obviously they were in love like I think it's really cool that they were just like pals
4: yeah
2: 100% and at no point did it lean into that wasn't always the case
1: Oh
4: Oh. well I'm glad they changed that Oh, because even even the hugs they had were like best friends. You guys, out. I'm so excited
1: by all
3: the words that you're saying. Well, to be fair, at least it worked, right? Like they did a test and it worked, and they removed all the bad stuff.
0: Yeah, I think I've learned a lot about the filmmaking process, and it's actually left me very interested in it. I mean, the not the filmmaking in terms of cinematography and but like the the post. Uh, production, I, I think is very interesting.
3: The next day on the bus to work, Sean is attacked by the Ten Rings when they spot the pendant he is still wearing around his neck. Sean displays a mastery of the martial arts that surprises everyone on the bus, including Katie. A man with a razor for a fist, named Razor Fist, corners Sean and says, you and your sister deserve what's coming. Katie is able to stop the bus and lose the attackers, but Sean realizes Razor Fist has taken the pendant. This is the first... Of several incredible action scenes that we get in this movie, and to me, I I don't think I've ever felt like this before. A bunch of other Marvel movies just got a lot worse in my eyes because of how good this movie was. Like these action scenes were, they are so well choreographed. I've never noticed some of the the, the, the tricks. That Marvel and I think action movies popularly now like to do, or as far as like cutting away at major hits and things like that. There's a sort of a lack of fluidity to any sort of action scene. Now you get lots of cuts and a bunch of different angles. Sometimes it can be really hard to keep up. There was one shot that I found so impressive where they go to a tunnel and Shang Chi is at the front of the bus, and it's one continuous shot as he is fighting off the 10 ring members throughout the bus and it was so cool that they didn't cut away a single time during that damn scene it made it so much more interesting to watch and it also Uh, kind of really clued into the movie's roots into being like a, a kung fu movie it had a lot of um you know uh a lot of like karate um I think there was a little bit of um, ring chun, and it's a type of fighting style. I think if you've ever watched the movie Ip Man, it's a it's like a defensive fighting style where you're doing a lot of parrying and blocking to then go then on the. It's a very defensive fighting style. Uh, so there's a lot what, of what that. movie was that? Ip Man.
4: I thought you said Ant Man.
3: No, no, Ip I P. Excuse okay. me. Ip Man, okay. a, a series of kung fu movies starring Donnie Chen, and it's about the teacher Bruce Lee's teacher and so it goes into like his um like him like having like a like a dojo in china and then he comes over to america meets bruce it's like a whole like series i think there are four movies it's ve- they're really good if you like those sort of kung fu type movies if you like shang chi you might like this movie um but yeah so you see a lot of different fighting styles in there and i think like i said like i went and i even watched um i used to think the combat in captain america winter soldier was like some of the best combat in the movie in 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 the MCU. And I like wet and rewatched it. It doesn't even come close to being as cool as this. This is like on another level.
0: Yeah, it's so good. And it was this was very interesting cuz I uh, I was watching the test test screening, which I'll talk more about, but I'll talk about this part right here because in the test screening for all these action sequences, for a lot of them the stuff around them wasn't done. But you could still see, like, oh, no, this is cool, and they're going to polish this scene, and this is going to be really cool. Like, it was really apparent, even in the test screening, uh, that this was going to be kinetically an incredible movie. And uh, finally watching it this week for the first time, like, the, the actual finished cut, it's just so captivating. Like, it's just... The way he just swings around on the bamboo scaffolding, and it's just, man, it it's... You're right, it, it just handles action I I feel like better than anything else in the MCU. Probably maybe far better than anything else in the MCU. Like, like you said on a different you already said on another level, I think you're right.
4: And it's a different kind of action too. You know, and and I think martial arts are often just very interesting to watch. I know mean, uh, there's just something very visually arresting about about good martial arts and uh, you know the eyes aside that like that opening fight at the Gate of Talo Ta- I mean that's that's like a ballet I mean that's and and you know it's not an original you know observation that I'm making but it that is part of what makes it such a it, it had big crouching tiger vibes uh, that that scene in particular but then but then you had like this bus scene, which was interesting in a completely different way you know uh, you know a lot of the a lot of this i i gotta think were you know actual stunt people stunt performers you know doing doing the stuff, and that's just always it's almost always gonna be more entertaining and interesting to watch than um than when you have you know the c g i characters punching each other. You know it's always going to be a little bit more interesting to it you know, makes you want to pay attention more
2: yeah and as someone who wishes uh the action sequences would be cut out of every film uh it was more tolerable to me as well like i could watch them was the bus scene too long on rewatch did i go get a snack and it was still going yeah i did uh but it was great. Like in the theater, I wasn't thinking, when will these fight scenes be over? And I think it does have to do with the dance-like nature of martial arts. It's easier to watch, much better. Than yeah, I think they got guns and punching than like, uh, all the other films. Uh, the first
3: Iron Man movie, the the fight scenes have gotten very like hefty. There's like a heft, there's a weight to the fight scenes in Iron Man and Captain America. Everything is like somebody punching with everything they've got and doing just trying to like send haymakers over and over and over again. And it sort of kind of numbs your brain after a while. Cause it's just somebody just, you know, wailing their arms over and over and over again. And there's a, there's some combat prowess there. I think the Captain America movies come the closest, but n- nothing compared to this. This is, there's a, a, a sense of agility here. There is clearly a sense of craftsmanship and it, it's very evident and it's really, really cool to watch. Um, and so I think that's why it, it it maybe comes off a little better than some of those movies. I don't know. I finished watching this movie coming out of the theater, and I was like, I don't think there's a Marvel movie that's ever done fight scenes as good as this. I think it might actually just be the best at this, yeah. and I think it's because it was so captivating.
4: Top of my head, the only fight scene that really comes close is the elevator in Winter Soldier, and what you know that is another one that is a tightly choreographed bunch of stunt performers doing their thing and it's focused and you know what the point is and is interesting to watch. So it's that there there are a hundred other generic fight scenes that are, you know, fine, but the this movie is full of ones that will stick with you.
3: Well and you had mentioned Crouching Tiger. Um the woman who plays the aunt was in Crouching Tiger uh she was in both the first and second crouching tiger uh uh, along with donnie um donnie yen who was in Ip man who i just said so the a lot of uh a lot of connecting parts here also that bamboo scene the scene that you were talking about with the bamboo scaffolding that's like a very common thing in kung fu type movies that specific like trope of fighting on the bamboo scaffolding uh on top of a building the bamboo falling off with somebody hanging on to it that's in like several movies uh oh interesting uh i don't know if you guys have seen rush hour 2 which isn't necessarily a kung fu movie it has jackie chan in it but i wouldn't call it a kung fu movie that one also uses that trope i think at one point both him and chris tucker are hanging from the bamboo that's about to snap off the building and i think they end up do falling and they fall into like a like a bed of hay or some stupid stuff like that. I don't know. that movie's I would
4: cool. imagine that Jackie Chan probably had a lot to do with the fight choreography in that though. And he would probably bring, you know, tropes and ideas from, you know, his, I mean, cause he's made how many movies in China, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sean tells Katie that he needs to go to Macau to warn his sister and that the attackers were sent by his dad. He shows her a postcard with an image of the great protector on it, saying it is his sister. Katie insists that she's going with him. He protests, but she stands firm.
4: Also really liked how that... It wasn't like a long fight. She was like, I'm going with you. And he's like, yeah, yeah you're going with me. You know, it, they they didn't draw it out into dramatic. She didn't have to sneak onto the airplane or anything. Right. It was just, I'm your best friend and I'm going. He's like, okay, yeah, fine, you're going.
1: Well,
3: it's because I find these two characters so relatable because they're like how actual friends act. They're not like dramatic about every little no you cannot go with me this is something i must do alone no he's like bro like i'm coming with you like you're going through something like we're friends i'm gonna come with you and he's like all right cool let's go and like that's how friends act i don't like i think there is A disconnect with the way people act in some of the other Marvel movies because they're coming from, you know, other worlds. You've got Shakespearean Thor over here, and you've got Iron Man being an asshole over here in this corner, and then, you know, Captain America, who's from 50 years ago, so he obviously doesn't know how to interact with another human being. And so you get all these really weird characters, and so you don't see very human relationships very often. I think there are a lot of caricatures in the MCU. And I think that can sometimes be, uh, that can sometimes be successful and that can sometimes be a detriment. And I think because they are using real people here, not that you're not using real people because they are acting like real people. I think it works really really well in this movie and it makes it so much more
2: relatable.
4: And I think it's going to be fun when they do start to get more integrated into some of the other characters in the MCU just having a couple regular people. That's kind of kind of what you get with like Scott Lang, but I feel like even more so because he's more like a character from a comedy movie.
3: Yeah, he's a whereas- caricature of Paul Rudd. Yeah. He's just, he's Paul Rudd being, like, Paul Rudd isn't a normal, you've never met anyone, I guarantee, you've never met anyone in your life like Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is one in a billion, and there's, there will never be another Paul Rudd, and that's just, like, he is himself, but he's also, it's kind of like Robert Downey Jr., right? I don't consider Robert Downey Jr., like, a normal dude. He is super weird. It's like, uh, like, Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) Like, these are people that are not normal people, right? They are- (laughs) They are very different from what normal interactions are like. You ever watch a Jeff Goldblum interview? It's like you're doing shrooms the whole time. They're they're so, they're so wild. He like he is so scatterbrained. I mean, I'm one to talk, but he's so scatterbrained and kind of all over the place. Like these aren't people that like act. They that they are they're, they're not people that are like playing a character. They're playing themselves. They just themselves happen to be super weird. And so I I don't think we actually get characters this normal in the MCU that I can think of. I mean even the ones that are close Cat Dennings is playing Cat Dennings, right? In uh in the Thor movies I think a lot of those side characters I think Gwyneth Paltrow is playing, you know, n- not what a normal person would would play like it, it, part of the problem is that they're interacting
2: with these large are not implying figures. Gwyneth
4: Paltrow's normal, right? <laughs>
2: absolutely not what she's normally like playing normal on screen compared to Gwyneth falter in real life there was nary a (laughs) nary a jade egg
4: (laughs) robbie i'll I'll, I'll tell you about the goop show on netflix after the show wait nope
0: you don't have to i'm done knowing cool okay
3: you had me a jade eggs uh (laughs) Yeah, I don't think there are normal people. So it's cool to see people just be normal in these movies. Sean relates his story to Katie, and we see that after his mother's death, young Shang-Chi began training at his father's compound where he was taught every possible way to kill a man. At 14, he was sent on a mission to kill one of his father's enemies. He tells Katie he couldn't go through with it and that he ran because he knew he could never return. He also tells Katie that his name is actually Shang-Chi, Kater remarks that if he wanted to hide, changing his name from Shang to Sean probably wasn't the best he could could have done. What a smart way for the director or the creators of this movie to get people to pronounce Shang-Chi correctly, to find as close of a name they could to Shang. They named him Sean. And then we're like, all right, we're going to have even a scene where they're going to pronounce it, Sean, Shang. Oh, real easy. Because prior to this movie coming out, everyone was calling it Shang-Chi. And mm. then you see this movie and you immediately, like as someone who has a name that sometimes takes people a couple of times to understand it. Sometimes I'll be like, all right, say Edward and then add an O to the end of it. And eventually I'll kind of get there. Um, it's That's really why cool. Edward O. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you'd be surprised how difficult my name can be for some people sometimes. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. We don't need I, to go I, I understand
4: I understand it with Chinese names only because like the Chinese language uses a lot of pronunciations and like tones that English does not like so it's a thing that like it's almost impossible I mean it can be learned but it's very very hard because having tone be a part of a pronunciation is is just like completely that's not stupid, but foreign to, to native English speakers. I mean, and if you listen to the way he pronounces Shang-Chi, I mean, people say Shang-Chi, but there is like, I I don't even know if there are curves in it, the way he pronounces it. Like, uh,
3: the, His enunciation he, is, it's, yeah. it's very difficult to enunciate correctly.
4: Yeah. It's something that I would butcher if I tried it. Um, He actually, Simu Liu, uh, and again, I'm probably, Butchering that a little bit too, put out a video once on his Instagram or something. Of he says like you, y'all are nodding. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, he yeah. uh, <laughs> like every white person is like, no, tell me how to pronounce how to pronounce it and how you just can't because there are, there are intricacies to it that uh, just are not part of our language and it's not something you can just hear and immediately do. You have to like study and learn it
3: that's so interesting because i can't i uh get people to say my name and i can immediately be like can you roll your r's and they go no and we can kind of move on from that whereas i get i guess there's no easy can you roll your r's for simulu and for him it's not as easy to kind of be like all right well you're not going to get there so let's just let's do it this way and we'll move on yeah
2: what was wild to me about that scene is why was katie so shook that Sean had a Chinese name. Yeah, right? <laughs> she has a Chinese name. I I was like, even before later in the film, it reveals that she does have a Chinese name. I looked at these characters mm-hmm. and go, oh, of course they have Chinese names. Like these characters were set up as being Chinese at the beginning of the film when we saw Katie's family and everything of that nature. And everyone I know has a Chinese name. And she was just really really taken aback by uh, the secret name, and I was like, he never asked him if he had a Chinese name. He might have, at
1: least.
4: Yeah. I guess, I guess the, on- the only way, I guess, she might be surprised if he is, you know, hiding and not using his real name is if she ever asked, and he's like, no, I'm just Sean. And then after all these years, by the way, I lied, I I guess, but, but it didn't really play that way. It played like she was surprised there was a name at all. Yeah. Which, like you said, is very, very strange. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah.
2: It took me out of the movie a little bit. I was like, "Wait, I know he has a Chinese name. She, she's not from the same place." Incidentally, I—I I don't know.
4: And this is you know ignorance on my part, but it wasn't until I worked in a certain place where I was working actually with a lot of people from China. I didn't know that taking an American name was a thing.
3: Yeah, that's where I learned it too. Same place. Yeah, I mean, and that's not—that's a very old. I mean you talk about people coming off the, yeah, I the mean, boats at Ellis Island, right? Mm-hmm. Coming up and they're, you know, telling them their names and being like, We gotta pick a new name because we need to make it sound American so we can fit into this country. Like that's a I mean like that's been a common thing for a Oh
4: people. yeah, yeah. That's where guess, a lot of last names come from. And...
2: Sure. Yeah. They pick them I mean, based on people my sister went to school with. She went with to school with several people from China and her roommate was directly from China. And they pick them, like, when they're, like, 10 or 11 a lot, but their English teachers. And my sister's friend's name is Ivy, because that was the shortest name on the list and easiest for her to memorize. You know, they're given a list, mm-hmm. just like, I don't know if you've ever taken classes, like, in Spanish. I was assigned a Spanish name because there's not an equivalent. Lindsay, and it's just like here's your little yeah. list yeah. and i'm gonna call you lucia Whereas like, I had, like that's, it, that's because name. i had a name so you know, there's a but uh, i think they got to pick uh, a,
4: a lot an equivalent to christopher in spanish but yeah no i my dad remember having to do that in high school
2: well, that's why you get all the fun names um mm-hmm. at our place former place of employment where they have names like honey or kitty or yeah things that sound yeah. cute like i, I worked like, with a poly who was name? actually named Sichuan. sound
4: and you know like
3: that's a, you know and it's such a such like an american thing to uh, to not fully understand not that chris it's not like i don't i don't fault you for not fully un- fully understanding the kind of uh kind of things that go on with multiple language speakers in this country but I think this movie does a really good job of painting what it's like to be an american who is also somebody from another culture I think America in general has can sometimes be uh can sometimes have a little trouble with those that have different cultures and those that speak different languages and those that have accents or or, or what have you and and you know maybe have a problem with with that that type of uh uh coming into american culture Um, And so I think it's cool to see a lot of this representation of not just a Chinese figure, but a Chinese American figure. I think those things are very different. I've talked on the show multiple times, I think, about how I'm not a big fan of like Antonio Banderas and like Sofia Vergara because they are caricatures of what a Hispanic person is and they don't really tell my story of being, you know, a Hispanic American who is both Hispanic and American and a little bit of both, but kind of not fully either. And I think... I think Shang-Chi does a really cool job of representing that, but with another culture. In Macau, Shang-Chi and Katie go to the address where they know his sister, uh, Shu Ling, can be found. It turns out that it's an underground fight club called the Golden Daggers Club. Also, Shang-Chi has gone viral as busboy, and John John, the fight organizer, tells him he's expected to fight in the center ring. As they make their way through the club, we see many fighters in the side bouts, including one who appears to be extremist-powered. In the center ring, the Sorcerer Wong fights Abomination, last seen in The Incredible Hulk, who Wong calls Emil and and seems to know quite well. I find it super weird that we are actually... Protecting, pretending actually acknowledging the incredible hulk nowadays like we have come full circle and now we just talk about the incredible hulk out in the open again like it was it felt like for a while we pretended like it never happened and now we are back on the other side of being like no it happened mark ruffalo was just there the whole time
4: yeah yeah because i remember there being like some arguments of oh incredible hulk isn't even mcu canon
0: yeah we have a listener that made that argument once i can't remember who it was but
4: yeah, but it's it's clearly clearly mm-hmm. it
2: counts. You're damn right, it does.
4: Yeah, I know it's your favorite.
2: <laughs> I mean, Mark Ruffalo, as always, being the Incredible Hulk is really the best retcon I've ever heard. Of.
4: I mean, I'm 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 for it. <laughs> he was actually the Hulk in Thirteen Going on Thirty. Not a lot of people know that. <laughs> it, just, it just never came up.
1: I mean.
2: My favorite entry in the MCU.
3: Wong uses portals to get Abomination to punch himself out. Wong seems extremely popular with the crowd. Backstage, Wong gives Abomination a drink and tells him to start controlling his punches like we practice, and he opens a portal that they both leave through. What a fun scene. What a
0: fun, weird... You guys, it was killing me not to talk to you about this for months on end. It was killing me. Not to talk to you about this. And then they just dropped it in the trailer. It's... yeah, Abomination in the test screening wasn't completely finished, but was close to done. Wasn't quite as detailed as he ended up finally, but I could tell what I was looking at, but I was watching and I'm like, that's, that's the abomination, right? But he doesn't look like he did in the Incredible Hulk. He looks like he does in the comics, which by the way, cool. And they don't even bother explaining it to you. I like the, te- the uh, decision.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, and, uh huh. And I... The funniest thing I had at getting out of the test screening was when they gave me my phone back so I couldn't record anything. My immediate thought was, am I right? Is that the abomination? The first thing I wanted to do was find out. And then, like an idiot, not realizing I had just watched a movie that was not released yet. I just Googled abomination in Shang-Chi. And, of course, there were no results. It was unhelpful. Um, And then it hit me like, I need to talk to my friends about this. And I can't talk to my friends about this. It was killing me. But what mm. a what a great use of the character! It was awesome.
4: Yeah, and uh, we we believe it's a subtle reintroduction to him because the, the you know the scuttlebutt is that he will be featured in the She Hulk series on Disney Plus. So that'd be perfect. Yeah,
2: I do want to say, as someone who's painted myself as uh, indifferent to the MCU. I did recognize that character and knew his name and put him in my notes as the abomination. So for any listener listening to this, being very angry that the guest seems to not want to be there or know anything, because I hear those guests on other podcasts, step aside because I can come to play and I do know what that character (laughs) is and where it's from. I've done my research. (laughs) I was like, yes, and I leaned over in the theater talking, as I do because I forgot uh, theater etiquette going back after many years um and did in fact talk through this entire film uh, much to the chagrin of my companion it's been a while i understand tell them all about it
4: (laughs) i I would also like to share tim roth did provide the voice for abomination in this movie amazing yeah they got tim roth to come in and just go
3: a few times okay
4: Yeah. yeah
3: We're, we're, I think we're so impressed by some of these things sometimes, but like, I guarantee they were like, hey, Tim Roth, can you and your iPhone 13 really quickly just record a couple grunts and we'll post them through and make them into a bomb? Like, I guarantee, he's not yeah. going to He is He is sitting at home on his, his, you know, his iMac into his plugged in microphone and making a couple grunts and then sending that file to a music, uh, to a sound editor
0: it it seems to me to be very easy money. It just feels like for a lot of my life, it felt like actors and actresses would see it as, no, that, that small billing and that small work, that is, that's not worth my time. And it feels like for whatever, at some point, and I could be wrong, but perceptually, pers- uh, the perception for me is that at some point that just changed and, and it became more of works, work. Yeah, I'll do the small thing in this, uh, wildly popular film and and live yeah. up to you know contracts and owning my character essentially Not there there, there, are
4: some actors character. who don't mind doing the little things and you know working to scale for a voice job or whatever there are some some who are too expensive or too busy or whatever uh i mean this is something we talked a lot about during what if i think
0: oh yeah. yeah yeah well and you know now that you've said it that way chris in all honesty, probably what I was perceiving as I'm learning a lesson about labor. Probably what I was perceiving is that actor thinks it's beneath them. Was really more like studio thinking. It is not worth paying you for this. It's probably yeah. what was really happening. And um, the MCU has makes so much you know gaga bucks that it's yes, it is worth paying you for this to them. Yeah,
4: and because I, I think about like Disney movies like animated films and there are some actors who like they'll have such a good time they will tell them hey if you ever need me for a video game or a parade at the theme parks or whatever just call me up i'll come and do it Uh, and then there are others who obviously they don't do that it's not saying it's right or wrong
1: but
2: do we know how much of this film was done remotely, like editing or other type of work due to the pandemic? Because a lot of the animated features that have come from the Walt Disney Company were greatly impacted, and you can see it, like watching Ryan the Last Dragon, which was basically assembled remotely, and it looks like it
1: was.
4: The only visible hint for me of the pandemic was the final post-credit scene, because there are a lot of people wearing masks, which i didn't yes. even register with yes. me the first time because i was like oh yeah it's it's what you wear um you know like it, it even sans pandemic it didn't seem out of place that people would be wearing masks but watching it again last night i was like oh those are covid masks yeah. that's not just just for show that like that is actually
2: a safety yeah i thing. didn't put it in the notes but i I had a lot of feelings about that. Not negative, um, but I was really watching that. But the editing on this movie is amazing, and it looks like it's changed a lot since the version Robbie saw. So I didn't see the disjointedness, but the timing would imply some of this work would have been done um, not in person yeah, like normal. It does yeah,
3: feel like I've, a lot of this uh, is yeah. done. A lot of the effects and things of this movie were added in post-production. I think there's a lot of clear... I, I think it's really, really well done, like CGI and sort of, you know, fake backdrops and things like that. And so I think it's done really, really well. Uh and I think maybe it, it wasn't affected as much by the uh the remoteless the remote working on it because it's something they were gonna have to do not necessarily remote, but not you know, it wasn't like they recorded, yeah. you know, Talo. They had they had places in real, so they had to like recreate it. In the aggregate, I don't know.
2: Recreate it somewhere. Yeah, it did it? Didn't read like the storyboards were done remotely. Yeah, I, <laughs> unlike because I, I some d- other believe
4: principal photography was complete before the shutdown. Uh, now I think reshoots were delayed, uh, and Marvel always builds in a lot of reshoot time. I do, but I do believe at least some of this was completed before the pandemic. Uh, so if a lot of shooting had been done, that means that you know post-production starts before they're done so
3: i feel like for a person that sits and does a marvel movie podcast every week i know very little about what actually what it actually takes to make a movie you guys are talking about you know photo production and you know all this other kind of and i'm like i I know some of these words like i don't i have no idea of what it really takes to make a movie (laughs)
2: You don't watch the 20 minutes of credits at the end of Marvel movies because I read all of those positions and the amount of companies that they have farmed out bits and pieces of production, and post-production too. 20 minutes after the
3: movie is it's when amazing. I'm talking about the movie and still waiting for the post credit scene. So the movie ends, I turn to the person I'm with, we're having conversations about the movie and then we go, all right, shut up, the post credit scene is here and then we turn back to the movie. <laughs>
2: You're not me constantly job shopping that in those credits because I want my name there so bad. I'm like, where can I where can I get a job? Like, what is this catering <laughs> company? Will my name be in lights?
3: In the center ring, Shang-Chi finds that he is fighting his own sister who wears an identical pendant to his. He tries to get her to stop fighting so they can talk it out. He says their dad is coming for her. Have you guys seen the, the Simulu cut of this scene? There is uh, a particular strike where she strikes him in the groin and he edited it so that every strike in this fight is that moment of him getting hit in the groin. So it's them doing the whole fight scene, but just him getting hit in the groin over and over and over again. And it is very comical.
4: That's wonderful.
3: So we, we finally meet Shiling, his younger sister... But Lindsay, uh, is she actually his younger sister?
2: Yeah, this is a sticking point for me. It shouldn't be. Um, first of all, the actress whose name I went in a deep dive to pronounce and could not find a recording of it despite watching interviews with her in which somehow they cut out where they introduce her. Um, her name is Mengzhu Zhang. Uh, anyway, the Zha actress. Amazing. I love her. Great casting. This is her first film. Also, on her first film, she met her husband who was a action designer on the film, and they've been married and Simon Liu took her and her husband to Disneyland. Um, so, I found all this while trying to pronounce her name. These are the interviews I went down. Well, I love all she of them. She did that. mention Yeah, a side note. Also, in another interview, she talked about her favorite part of filming this, this film was um, not meeting her husband, but punching Simon Liu Lee Lu in the face during the scene it was an accident but she really enjoyed it um, she did land a facial punch but she looks visibly older than shang in this film and I don't always notice those things she looks more I mean part of it is she is running you know it's underground ring and like in a very strong position of power and really assure of herself and that is the character but like she looks mature and i don't mean old there's no wrinkles on there she looks amazing but she just has facial features that read more mature and that is fine but they made a lot of mistakes and mentioning ages so much in this film because i did a lot of calculation on my rewatch it hit me in the theater and then You know, two days ago, I sat there with a piece of paper writing down when they would reference ages. I think we just mentioned uh, on this show saying uh, Shang-Chi was 14 when he got sent on the assignment to the U.S. I wrote 15, but I'm going to say 15 because it makes my math easier. 15, and later it's implied he was gone for 10 years, meaning that character is supposed to be 25. I don't think that plays is like a need to be 25. Maybe 25 makes the ballet thing less like you're gone afar off your path if him and katie are 25 and they're still she's out of berkeley and still doing this it's not like they're like 35 and for anyone listening to this thinking 35s old i am someone who worked for seven dollars an hour at like 30 years old so like i am not reading any of these characters and their choices however <laughs> they also go deeper into the movie later to talk about the sister and i do know for storyline that's why i want to know about the comic That it makes sense for the sister to be younger, that she was left by her older brother, and I'm getting ahead of myself in the storyline. So I I understand storyline why she would be younger, a younger sister that was left and, and waited for him to come back, and he didn't come back. But it implies that she left when he left her when she was 10. She waited six years, waiting for him to return And then at 16, she went and started this Golden Dagger Club. Like, boss move. Great. She's killing it. Um, And then moving to the current timeline, that makes her 20. They're saying Shang-Chi is 25 and Sha Ling is 20 in this film. And that actress looks every bit of the 34 years old she is. She was maybe 32 in filming. And she is two years older than Simon Lee, which whatever. Cast whatever ages you want. I just don't know why they needed to play up such a big age difference and why they needed to set the time with he's only been gone 10 years, so he's 25, which makes her 20 and that makes everything weird. Because this lady looks in her 30s.
4: (laughs) Where does the blip play into this, too? That's true. That
2: really throws off
4: timelines.
1: Yeah,
2: That's a good point. Um, Um, Yeah, I don't know if he was blipped. Who knows? Maybe he looks fresh and young. (laughs)
0: This did, is post blip, right? Yes.
4: Yeah, they can't mentioned
0: wait talk about, can't wait to talk about the post credit. Oh yeah, you're right.
4: Yeah.
0: I don't think by the way they mentioned that in the original screening. But um Oh oh I was gonna say, Lindsay, is I this gets back to my one of my secret hang ups is that a lot of fiction movies in general just play really fast and loose with like time and ages in ways that are both unnecessary and unreasonable it's
2: not even necessary just make time that makes sense like what is stopping you from doing that if they didn't mention the specific years or the ages at certain times it would have been fine like i'll even buy that she's younger than him like i don't know how old he's supposed to be or what he looks like but they really like brought up ages multiple times in this film the the example i always come back to is
1: and, and, and
0: it's a it's a it's a storybook movie so that's it's, it's not that it's a big deal, it's just that it's unnecessary. It is Beauty and the Beast, where it's what is it? That 10 years we've been rusting, needing so much more than dusting. And also, what is it? He needs to find love on his 21st birthday. By his 21st so, birthday. So, one of a couple things happened. We need to tell him he needs to find true love by the time he can drink. Oh, I know he could already drink, but in this country, but ignore that. And also, we're cursing 11 year olds for not letting in witches. And here's, and I'm not saying that ruins the movie. I'm saying there's no reason you had to write it that way. No one forced you to make that the timeline. You can make the timeline
2: anything you want. So just make it make sense. ten uh, year old me, or however <laughs> age, if we want to get into this on this podcast, when that that's what we do, out, I was hung up on that. I was hung up on that. Mm-hmm. I heard the 10 years you're resting and did that math. So I've been rolling on this level of logic my whole life and it upset me. So thank you for bringing that example.
4: And so I did just find out a bit about Jialing. Uh, she is actually a composite based on Shun Chi's five sisters from the comics. So there's little bits of multiple characters combined into one character here. So that doesn't really illuminate anything, but just so we know.
2: Oh, it's good. They just thought, Oh man, we don't need more women. So that's what I heard right there. Just kidding. They they made a great character, I'm really into it. So yeah. Seems like a win.
3: In a flashback, young Shiling pleads with her brother to not leave her as he is sent on his father's mission. He says he'll be back in three days. In the present, she knocks him the hell out. She really does just like she knocks this like she knocks him the fuck out. In Shailing's office, we find out that she owns the Fight Club and that Katie has won a ton of money betting against Shang-Chi. He tells Shailing that the Ten Rings took his pendant and will be coming after hers. She tells Katie that after waiting six years for him to return, she realized she didn't need him. Shang-Chi asks Shailing why she sent him the postcard. She replies that she never sent him one. An alarm goes off and they realize it was a trap. Shailing escapes through a trap door as Razor Fist and the Ten Rings make their way through the club. Shang-Chi and Katie escape to the scaffolding outside the building to get to the elevator, but are found by the Ten Rings. A fight ensues on the side of the building. Shang-Chi fights, and Katie sings the Eagles. She is knocked off the building, but is saved by Shai Ling, who joins Shang-Chi in fighting off the attackers. Shang-Chi tries to interrogate the last attacker, but Shai Ling knocks him off the building, asking Shang-Chi if America has made him soft. They are interrupted when a masked fighter attacks them and steals Shyling's pendant. I feel like I don't know this character. And when I say this character, I mean that masked ninja y type character. I don't know who that character is. I found them really interesting, and I was almost a little bummed when we didn't hear. They're like the Boba Fett of this uh this movie where or Captain Phasma, where they are in the, po- the pre-material, they're in the trailers, they're on the posters, and they're in the movie, but you don't really find out anything about them, and then they kind of disappear at the end, which is kind of what happened to this person. On the bright side, every single fight scene this masked figure is in is super cool. And so uh, I wish we had gotten maybe a little bit more of whoever this character is. Uh, there are a lot of faces looking at computer screens right now, so I'm hoping one of you will get me an answer to the name of this character.
4: Death Dealer.
3: Death Dealer. Interesting. And are they prominent? In, do we do we know about their prominence in the comics?
4: I will tell you what Looper.com tells me. Death That's Dealer. Always safe. Yeah. Played by martial artist stuntman and actor Andy Lay. He wasn't a big character in the comics either. Says Death Dealer also had a short-lived run in the comics. Made his first appearance in the Hands of Shang Chi, Master of Kung Fu, number one fifteen. He doesn't have a his name or mask there. He was a double agent with MI six, and then later on, he becomes Death Dealer. Interesting. Um, and then he dies in issue number one eighteen. Okay, yeah. So he was in uh, three issues, four maybe.
3: I don't know. He was just one of those ca- uh, characters that was really captivating when they were on screen. Shang Chi chases Death Dealer. Inside the building, pins him and is about to stab him when an electrical whip pulls the dagger out of his hand. It's Wenwu using the rings. He tells Shang-Chi that he had told his men they wouldn't be able to kill him and that he was right. He then says, let's go home. Wenwu brings Shang-Chi, Ling, and Katie back to the Ten Rings compound, announcing that his son is home. In their room, Katie and Ling discuss Wenwu. Ling says that while she wasn't allowed to train because he reminded Wenwu of her mother, She watched them and learned how to do everything they could, but better. She tells Katie that she ran away at 16 because if her father wouldn't let her be part of the Empire, she would start her own. Shang-Chi sees a divot on a wooden pillar and remembers practicing his punches on it as a child. In the flashback, Wenwu tells Shang-Chi that he used to train his mind as well as his body if he wants to have the Ten Rings someday. At dinner, Wenwu tells his children that he always knows where his children are and that it is time for Shang-Chi to take his place at his father's side. He asks the American girl what her Chinese name is, and she replies, Ruan. Wen. Wenwu says that names are sacred and connect us to who we really are. He then tells the story of a terrorist from America who needed a boogeyman and appreciated the Ten Rings. He says that since the American don't know his, didn't know his name, the name the American chose was the Mandarin, which Wendu derisively calls a chicken dish. America was terrified of an orange, he said. Wenwu says that he's had many names over the years. It wasn't until he met Yingli that he knew who he truly was. He says they both gave up so much for each other, she for her village, and he the Ten Rings. He calls her the first thing he found worth growing old for. When she died, he returned to the Ten Rings, as well as study of Talo. He says they are hiding a gate in the mountains where Yingli waits for them. He says he heard her voice while researching, telling him she needs him, his help to save her from her people. He says that they are not allowed to live in Talo because the village elders found him unworthy. I wonder why. He believes she is leaving clues for them, which Shang-Chi doubts. Wenwu disagrees, holding up pendants as proof. He places them in the eyes of a dragon statue, which reveals the route through the forest to Talo, as well as the exact time it will open three days from now. What a visually striking scene. There are several visually striking scenes in this
0: yes. movie uh, but this is a near the top of them incredible and this one was done when i saw it which i thought was very interesting
2: It's beautiful yeah. like truly mm-hmm. me half paying attention on the rewatch i was like everyone's silent. silence yep. this scene's <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: D- discerning the state the movie was in during test screenings i think this was for good reason their priority. My guess is they needed it ready for advertising and that sort of stuff, but this scene seems to have been a pr- priority because it was it was done when I saw it, and a lot of stuff was not even close to done.
3: Wenwu says they will burn Ta Lo to the ground. Shang-Chi protests, so Wenwu locks him, Shia Ling, and Katie in his dungeon. Back in his room, Wenwu hears the voice of Ying Li saying they will be together soon. R- Robbie, I think it's a good time to talk about the thing that we have been like, oh, we're going to talk about it. And then we haven't talked about it the whole time, even though we have basically said what it is, which is you got to see a test screening of this movie before it even came out.
0: Yes. And that was interesting. First, I will tell you seeing a test screening is a very interesting process. And uh, having now seen the final version, been very interesting to see that process of what goes from the rough draft to the final draft. And for I'll tell you, everybody, I saw the final draft today for the first time. I always meant to see it in theaters, but it's just been a busy few months for me. I have not gone to theaters, so I didn't get to see it. Uh, but I did watch it on on Disney+. Plus, and so it was very different going, oh, man, probably six, seven months at this point. And then seeing this version was just really, really eye-opening. Uh, it, but it was killing me to not talk about it, not talk to you guys about it, not talk about it on the podcast. There are several times that I almost slipped up. Like we would say something, someone would mention something and I had secret knowledge about what we were talking about and I would start to talk about it, forgetting it was secret knowledge. And then remember, nope, I can't talk about that. Because you know there's a, a non-disclosure agreement and everything, which as I understand, please don't sue me. Now that it's out, I can talk about having gone to a test screening. I'm not going to. And also there's nothing for me to complain about because I'm going to also say they did an amazing job. Uh, the test screening was was interesting, and the choices they made prove that I am bad at making movies because I don't make them, and Marvel Studios is good at making movies because uh, I'm going to talk about some choices, and I think almost all of them, I, I think all of them were a very smart decision on the studio's part. I will caution you, if you're ever up, If you ever get a chance to go to a test screening for a movie you care about though, probably don't do that because like, I can't imagine the state I saw this in if it was like a Star Wars movie. It would have just not been great. What I saw was way longer than this and had what could best be described as like PS1 graphics, maybe even Nintendo 64 for the most part. A lot of green screens, a lot of spots where like the frame would freeze but dialogue would continue. And I don't even really fully understand why that would happen, but it happened a lot. I I know that something was being worked on, but and so we're we're asked to use our imagination to to figure out what the film's going to be, and then leave. We give a little uh, paper and supposed to write out reviews on what worked, what didn't work, etc. So I'm not going to review like, oh, the dragon was uh, beige. Make the dragon colored because I know the dragon is going to be colored. I wanted to actually talk about. Uh, what could be improved. And I will say that almost everything I wrote about it ended up getting addressed. So that's fascinating. Um, so just going through real quick. Well, thank you for your service. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, obviously it was me. So when I was watching this, I was thinking, well, I don't know how much this is going to be changed. The answer is a lot. I feel like I watched a completely different movie. What I watched was a movie that I thought was going to eventually be good. I could see the seeds of a good movie, but they did a way better job than I thought they would on the editing the editing process is what, man, those people are amazing. And so I sit down and watch this showing from the very start. The first scene was not in what I watched. That first scene where he storms the castle on horseback. And that was not in uh, when, when you storms the castle. That was not in the original or the, the rough draft that I saw. Um, rather, and this is kind of why I suggested we talk about this here in the podcast. They went through his origin story during this dinner. And had flashbacks to his origin story where he went back and stole the 10 rings as a thief. They just cut that out of the film. And had you told me they were going to cut that out, I'd think, well, you got to have the origin story. But now having watched it, no, I don't think you have to have the origin story. That's just fine. I, I think most of what they did was they edited things out for pacing, which I think was a very good decision. The castle sequence, like all the various scenes that happened in the castle, it felt like an eternity in the rough draft and it's very tight they cut out a ton in this set of scenes in the final in the finale it was very interesting the finally seeing the ring effects and there's one that's really important so there's that fight scene at the spring when he's trying to find tallow and the effect of how the rings work i didn't get to see in my first viewings and so that was kind of left up to the imagination they did a great job with it But one thing, that because the ring effects weren't there that I didn't realize, I think it was supposed to be there, it's not that they edited this in, it's that I didn't understand it because the lack of special effects was the foreshadowing of Shang-Chi's mother showing that she can control the rings that first time they fight, in the flashback, and then she gives the rings back to him. That's clearly foreshadowing for him being able to do that later in their climactic fight. Um, That is very important, but did not catch it at all in the the test screening. Uh the movie actually started with the helicopter. So that helicopter shot that's near the beginning of the film, that was the actual beginning of what I saw. But then what happened after it was completely different. He goes into a prison and threatens a guy, and I remember it felt like he was controlling his mind with the rings, and it just set up a bunch of stuff that didn't-I don't think that's what's happening. This was really confusing. And so they cut it out. And that, uh, good job. Like, I, clearly, this stuff was a lot of the first act was really confusing, and everything that confused me, I mean, everything that confused me, either got addressed or just slapped out of the movie. It's, I remember a couple other people said this because we had a like a little, there was a big focus group that I was not a part of, but also a real short focus group at the whole theater, and then we weren't allowed to talk about it ever again. Um, a bunch of people thought that Aquafina was the sister. At the start of the movie, and I, I was among those. I, I didn't understand the relationship. I didn't understand. Well, the final cut has a whole lot. Has a few lines. Like one of the first things Aquafina says is, "We've been friends for ten years." She did not say that in the version I watched. So clearly, that I'm not the only one that was confused. They put in a line that you know, if this, you probably don't realize wasn't always in there. It fits naturally, uh, and and that this is to me is just really cool about the movie making process about realizing, you know hey, we missed this. Let's clean it up so that audiences understand. And they clearly get that sort of stuff from test screenings. They added a bunch of shots of him walking to her apartment. I Clearly to establish he doesn't live there. It felt to me when I watched it like he lived there. This is his family. And so then all of a sudden the grandmother asks, when are you going to marry her? And I was like, wait, 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 hold on. That's his sister. Because it was confusing. It is not confusing, at least I don't feel like in the final draft. So great job with editing that. Bus scene, Absolutely ridiculous in PS1 graphics. Uh, glad that that worked out all right. Um, we've already talked about Abomination, <laughs> but that one killed me to not say anything about. And then, then there's what all the stuff they edited out in the castle. They edited out the origin story, but there's a big one. I will we'll be watching Lindsay's face as I discuss this. As I'm watching the castle sequences and all the scenes edited out of the castle sequences, I started realizing, wait, when are Razor Fist and Xialing, uh, is that how you pronounce her name? When are they gonna start talking about their history together? And then then they're suddenly escaping. And when they're escaping, there's no sequence of him expressing emotion about her taking his car of all cars. And I'm just like, what? Did they cut out the Razor Fist love story? And I, I I text Chris about this and he goes, LOL, what? <laughs> Just, I'm, I'm not kidding. And the movie is probably better, or is definitely better for cutting it out, but it felt integral to what I watched. It does not feel integral to the final product. They clearly saw this is ineffective. This isn't working. It's slowing down the film. Let's cut it out. And it keeps the film moving. But the version I saw, again... I think they made the correct decision. It's just, so this is just weird. And I'll bet you'll see, I'll bet we'll see some of this in like deleted scenes. Razor fist is a completely sympathetic character. As the movie goes on, he starts being played for comedy, but also he's got this whole backstory where he's in love. He and Jai used to date when they lived at the compound. And then when she left, his heart was broken. And the reason in the final fight that he takes their side is they have this whole dialogue as they're fighting. Where she, you know, she's appealing to his humanity and he's appealing to you broke my heart. And finally, finally they, you know, make amends and save the day. And like, like this was a, this was not a small subplot. It was in all of their scenes. He was a sympathetic character who was in love with Jialing, And I fully support and understand why that was cut out. But it feels so funny to now watch the movie without that, and also know that none of y'all saw that.
4: No, oh, I, I, we watched it last night, Danny and I, mm-hmm. after you had sent me this message, and we get to them fighting in the village. And I looked at Danny and said, "Well, this feels mm-hmm. different now." Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: there was there was tons of <laughs> you
4: know knowing that there was supposed to be more there.
0: Also, that whole village fight way pared down, but that also makes sense i'll get to that oh speaking of uh Ling, the little shots of her w- when when shang is going through his background training as an assassin and they're showing the shots of her messing with the i can't remember what it's called but the her her rope weapon which we actually mentioned in one of the podcasts before but i can't remember the name right now but as she's messing with that in training as a child i if unless i'm remembering incorrectly those were not in the original cut. Instead, there was a more lengthy training sequence as an adult. Like, she didn't start proficient with the weapon. So they changed it so that she practiced as a child and was proficient already as an adult, which is... makes sense. And it kind of helped with pacing, I think.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, let's see. So, mostly just really cut out stuff at the castle. They cut out a bunch of... a bunch of time with Shiling and, and Razor Fist. Uh, they cut out Aquafina making fun of Razor Fist at dinner. Uh, they cut out... this. A shot of um, when you uh, smacking, uh, I can't remember what it is, but when you smack Shang-Chi because he says something about his mother. There's just so much in the castle sequence, flashbacks, dialogue that was cut out. And one of the things I kind of wonder about is when they're doing a rough draft of a film, do they just throw everything in there and then find out what works and doesn't work? Or do they think all this works and then they're surprised and, and oh, the test screening hates it, cut it out. I'm kind of curious about the process. Uh, the result though... Mm-hmm. My understanding
4: of it, because mm-hmm. I, I studied film in college, um, it, you always shoot more mm-hmm. than you mm-hmm. are going to need. You you Everyone always goes in with the understanding that everything that is in the shooting script is not going to be mm-hmm. in the final product. Sometimes it is we think this is going to work and you find out it doesn't play well with audiences. Sometimes it's, and I think this is something you can probably relate to. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know you, you know, having done a lot of writing in your time when you are very close to a story that you are writing or creating in, in any way, you're sometimes too close to know how others are going to perceive it. Or you're like, you think this is obvious because it's the thing you made up. You know, like the the relationship between Shang-Chi and, and Katie as best friends. You think that's obvious. You don't realize because you've lived this with this story for months and months now through the writing and filming and editing process. It's not until you show it to people who don't know the story at all that you realize, oh, this isn't clear yet. So, so I think that's a big part of it, you know, and you pointed out a lot mm-hmm. of things like that, where it's like, clearly they didn't realize it wasn't clear because you right. can't when you know when you know the thing backwards mm-hmm. and forwards, you cannot realize what people won't get. So that's why there always yeah. have to be reshoots and there always have to be ADR recordings. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all these things you always have to go back and tweak things, and you have to have these test screenings because otherwise. You're not going to realize that you just put out something that only makes sense to the people who already knew the story.
0: That that, that makes plenty of sense. And what I'll say is, like, for for example, the razor fist stuff, it wasn't confusing. But I realized that they cut it out, and the it saves so much time and keeps the film moving at a brisk pace without losing anything. And I I I, I wasn't aware mm-hmm. that it was dragging down the film as I was watching it, but now watching it without it, I realized it didn't hurt to lose it.
4: So have you ever like, if you go back and watch like deleted (laughs) scenes from a movie and a lot of times you hear people say, Oh, I wish that they'd kept that in. And oftentimes if you go and think about like, well, what would this look like if we put it in and you realize, Oh, this would Mm -hmm. slow things down. This would best example I could think of. Sorry for complaining about this scene. Again, I'm sure I've complained about this on the podcast before, but in the special edition, of the original star wars they added back the job of the hut scene mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. pointless because it is all dialogue that was taken care of five minutes earlier when greedo went to a, mm-hmm. a meet han solo so now we get a scene of him saying the exact same things to a different
0: alien that's speaking hatties what was the point having now watched the test screening version and this version it makes me think a lot of the extended edition lord of the rings where I I feel the the theatrical versions are better films or better films to ask audiences to go see. But me as a, as a Tolkien nerd, I love the extended editions because I love seeing all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I guess I don't have that same connection to Shang-Chi, so I don't necessarily need to see the Shang-Chi extended edition. But that's clearly what the extended editions of Lord of the Rings were, which is we filmed all this stuff because it's important to the people who the stories are important to. So, let's release both. Um, and and I, I like that. Um. And
4: Peter Jackson has said that the regular versions are what he considers the mm-hmm. definitive version and that the extended editions are are
3: I couldn't Mm -hmm. even tell you the differences like the extended edition versions are just the movies for me like I don't I couldn't tell you what is in the regular version and what is not in the regular I I have no no sense of what is in and what is not in they all just are the extended version
4: Return of the King is the only one I saw in theaters and it is therefore the only one that I have seen the regular version of I have only seen the extended versions of the other I
3: love the facing that Lindsay is is is
1: making right now (laughs)
2: My boyfriend Dave is very into The Lord of the Rings. This is his genre of fandom. And he just spent his birthday going to a friend's house to watch all the extended version in 4K for the first time. Lucky man. Good for him. And he does uh, respect a relationship enough to know that I will never watch those fucking films. I have no time (sighs) for that. I cannot do it. I watched the first one. I think I fell asleep multiple times. Leah fell asleep three times, including in theater, trying to watch it. Uh, when those movies came out, I knew we're going way off on Marvel. I don't care. I'm sharing it. Uh, those movies came out when I was a freshman in college. Um, the big, the first, the first one and i was i knew this was a thing that people were into the books and i was like i'm going to get in like all my friends in like high school middle school were nerds who read that i just never did i went and got the hobbit read it great went got this is my mistake my mistake was i got the three books together in one compendium volume in which the font is like 0.2 and it weighed about 20 pounds and like gave me carpal tunnel trouble trying to hold it and i read the first book up until the last 20 pages and i set it down And a year later, I had not read those 20 pages because it was not worth my life and I never gave it another thought.
0: This is getting rude.
2: Like, I was so close. I was so close. In the the context of the book, it was like a a tissue paper amount of writing that I needed to finish to finish the first one. Obviously, I never read the next two books and don't think I made it through the first film. And the entire books are Men Walking in Woods. Yeah. And it's very That's why they're great. Well, very nope, boring. If it makes you feel better, the third movie also
3: <laughs> includes a woman walking in woods.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, like uh, I mean, I'm a big Liv Tyler fan, so like that was you know appealing to me. I didn't. Oh, there's... The concept, <laughs> I fun. guess, is fine. <laughs> but well, I don't, I don't care about any of it. But it's just very interesting because that is clearly the epitome of a very, very boring thing to do, like watching paint dry, is watching Lord of the Rings and especially extended versions. Um, And it seems like a lot of men, women too. I know some women are very into these uh, movies, but they can watch that. But like when a woman speaks, they like tune it out, move on with their lives. And I just really don't have time for that. No, no. If you can watch those movies, you better hear every word I've ever said and memorized it. Mm -mm. If you're going to tell me about that man kicking that thing and breaking his (laughs) foot, you better know what I asked you to get at the grocery store.
0: Oh, I was hoping someone <laughs> would bring that up. So, obviously, the Lord of the Rings extended editions are amazing movies, but getting back to this movie that we're talking about.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Another thing I was really excited about to finally see was the dragon. Um, the dragon was obviously not done, and so I just was, had to think about, how cool is this? Spoiler alert, it's really cool in the final, final uh, cut. Um, but uh, speaking of love stories... Oh, actually, no, also, also getting back, also getting back to the finale sequence. This time I'm watching Eduardo's reaction. So we had, one of the other things I really wanted to talk to you guys about was we, you know, we brought back Tr- Trevor Slattery and, and that was amusing and interesting. Um, he was in it way more in the, the rough cut I saw, way more. He has a whole sequence in, had a whole sequence in the finale where he dramatically, so, so his little creature, Gets bigger, and he dramatically rides on top of him with a sword into battle against the evil dragon. And it's it's a really dramatic moment, but also played for laughs and just, I think the tone was kind of off, and I think they realized that, and that ended up getting cut, but man, it would have made Eduardo mad. <laughs> because it, it's
4: that's one I would like to see as a deleted scene but also yeah. I'm glad is not in so, the so final product if, if you think I he was like, played yeah.
0: for a fool in this like he was almost Jar Jar Binks in the rough draft I saw and then but got like he got the hero moment in the, uh, the finale uh, yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. Uh, quoting Shakespeare yeah, that wouldn't have been appropriate. Wielding a <laughs> sword and hacking monsters. And, I'm going to go over this later, but I yeah, hate
3: that character.
0: It probably stood out as the weirdest thing to me in the in the test screening. I'm really not surprised it was cut. So but so the finale heavily edited. Like this whole movie's heavily edited, but the finale was heavily massively edited. They just cut out a lot from it to make it move along. I think they made the right decisions. They cut out the stuff with Razor Fist and Ziling, But one very interesting choice they made this was what i wrote the most about on my little form which was they had a lengthy section where the little bat creatures that steal souls killed everyone i don't mean a lot of people i mean everyone i mean katie died yes right and it's dark and it's miserable and it's sad and shang chi watches her die and cries and she still gets the shot that kills the evil dragon and then she gets her soul sucked everyone dies But then when the evil dragon dies, everyone comes back. So what I wrote about was it was a really grim, painful sequence to watch. Then it ended up having no stakes whatsoever. And neither of those things worked for me. Very clearly, they agreed and made it so we didn't have to painfully watch everyone die for what felt like 10 minutes on end but also they're not going to resurrect everybody at the end. So like, I'm telling you, Aquafina dying was really depressing to watch. So no problem with them uh, cutting that out. So that was a very interesting choice. And again, just, I think, fantastic choice they made. I left this movie thinking, wow, if if they just clean up the first act and the third act and make it drag less and make it more, more exciting and make more sense, like this film can be incredible. And what's wild to me is it feels like they did that. Like, it feels like I saw what what the rough draft of a, of a good film, and then they made basically every improvement that I could have thought of, plus more. And I, it just has made me very interested in the editing process, and the test screening process, and how they take feedback and improve movies before they're released. Because I, I'm, I ended up liking this, this was great, and I think we all agree it was great, but I ended up liking it even more because I saw the process of improving a film. And that was just very interesting. Um, there, there, I, would, I have no criticism whatsoever, as hyperbolic as that sounds, of the decisions they made from the test I saw to the final. Uh, really funny. The ending was completely different. There was no Wong at the end of the movie I saw. Then it just ended suddenly. Then the post-credit scene was not, or the mid-credit scene with Wong was not there. The post credit scene was roughly the same thing, but slightly changed. It was like a like a FaceTime talk between Shang-Chi and Zhailing, and then she goes and goes and sits on the throne. But that's it. I, I, I know that's a lot, but it was it's one of the most fascinating... It's easily the most fascinating thing I've done in relation to this podcast is see how a movie can be improved through the creative process.
4: I've been looking forward to this episode for this reason for so long. <laughs>
2: Yeah, am sorry, ahead. earlier in this conversation did you imply in the early edit that there was romantic relationship between Katie and Shang-Chi? When Katie
0: comes back to life, Shang-Chi goes and kisses her. Oh, well. <laughs> I, was, I did a double no. take. When that was cut no. out, I just thought it was coming and then I rewound. I'm like, oh, they cut that out. I think there were a couple other moments leading up to kind of, kind of seed that, but it also felt mostly out of left field. And, and forced. Okay. And and that's another one that makes me really wonder, did, did they want to see if this is what audiences want? And then they realized it's not and cut it out? Because that's what it feels like. Is it feels like they were just testing something that they felt like they had to do but weren't didn't really have their heart in it. And so they cut it out when they realized that no one cared.
2: They try to follow the movie yes. formula of women only exist uh, if they're in a relationship for both of those characters. Yeah. And then they realized, we hate yeah, that. I, and they I'm serious. That. It felt completely out of left field. So... So I, I love a movie without love interest. Mm-hmm. And obviously there was only one couple mm-hmm. in the final edit and I hated it. So, uh, yeah, we, they
0: cut I, out I, two I couples for you, Lindsay, two couples.
2: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, you'd say I'm not the target demographic for this film, except for I'm the one going opening weekend. I am here. I got bills on. I'm bringing mm-hmm. multiple people who may or may not want to see these films. Everybody was hype about Shang-Chi. Like we were rolling rolling well, deep to yeah, that yeah. Point. i i'm
0: i'm um, just impressed just just really 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 impressed and i know that sounds hyperbolic but having watched these two versions just i am blown away by the
2: creation now in the scenes with Sha, with Xia Ling and razor fist did she ever talk to him and mention his name did she ever call him razor no, fist the only
0: time that he calls himself razor fist and aquafina makes fun of him
2: okay mm-hmm. I could tell there was something going on because when they go to get in the cars and she looks at the box of like keys and she takes one that says Razor Fist and then they're in the most ridiculous looking car. I was like, obviously this is the funniest choice um, here, but it looked like she really took an evaluation and went for that key. And now it makes much more sense mm-hmm. that he was mm-hmm. complaining, oh, you had to take my mm-hmm. car. I'm like, yeah, she deliberately took that mm-hmm. car. She knew the cars and was like, I love this joyride, which felt really weird, uh, without that background that she would want the most ostentatious awesome yeah, that for that character to pick that car. But... Well, Robbie, we gotta know if this character has another name than Razor Fist.
3: Robbie, earlier you mentioned that there was a scene where um, he uses the ring to like interrogate. Uses the rings to like interrogate a man Mm -hmm. and maybe has some like psychic influence. So, the 10 rings in the comic books, each ring has a different power. He has 10 of them, each one of them on his ring, and each ring does a different thing. For example, there's the flame blast ring, and this ring allows the mandarin to project blasts of infrared to produce flame or ignite combustible materials. There's like an ice ring, there's a lightning ring, there's like a a light force and like a dark force ring, all kinds of stuff. There is also the mento intensifier ring. I am not making this up, a.k.a. the Liar. It's Warren in the left ring finger. And this ring magnifies the Mandarin's psionic energies, allowing him to mentally manipulate the thoughts and actions of others. So I think in the rough draft, they had thought about adding in some of the abilities that the Ten Rings have in the comic books, and they thought, wait a second, actually, this is really stupid. We should just do the, the stuff that we were going to do and, and, and keep it a little bit more simple than the, what they were going to do.
0: Yeah, what it really was was it was just confusing. I couldn't tell if that's what happened or not. Like, if I was inferring too much into the action or not. And and I, I, I spent the first third and the last third of this movie confused, thinking, oh, this could get cleaned up. And they did. Like, I had a lot of fear that they wouldn't clean it up, and they did. But I, it's it was confusing at points. In the dungeon, Shang-Chi
3: says he's always assumed the stories of Talo were a fairy tale. Shiling suggests that perhaps her father is right about the village. Either way, they agree they need to get there before Wenwu. Suddenly, they hear what sounds like a man growling. They follow it and discover a makeshift dressing room and Trevor Slatery, a.k.a. the Mandarin, doing vocal warm-ups. He realizes these are Wenwu's children and tells them of how what the, what he thought was the simple role of a terrorist for the BBC was actually an unflattering portrayal of their father, and how he was put in jail after his producer was blown up by Iron Man. Wenmu broke him out of jail to punish him, as seen in the Marvel One shot, Hail to the King. But before his planned execution, he began instinctively performing monologues from Macbeth, which so entertained Wenmu that he had a change of heart and made him the resident performer at the compound. As he tells this story, a small, six-legged, furry, headless, winged creature known in china's mythology as a daijang enters katie and shang are shocked while trevor is delighted to learn that he hasn't been hallucinating morris trevor can understand the creature and says he would have gone mad years ago if morris didn't talk to him trevor recays that morris grew up with their mother and talo relays excuse me and that he wants them to take him home and can lead them through the forest to the village it will be dangerous, but Morris is 19% confident he can guide them there safely. Uh, Lindsay, just before we uh, recorded this episode, sent me a TikTok of how they recorded this scene in particular and what they used as like a double for Morris, and it was hilarious. Oh my gosh. It was. Yeah,
2: Chris, I didn't know you were going to be on, so I didn't send it to you. I in it.
0: And the version I saw, there were a couple uh, shots where Morris Robbie still looked like rep. that
2: uh i big shout out to my sister leah she found that TikTok mentioned to me a couple days ago and then made sure i had it today uh for the record and she's been talking all about that so i will certainly share it um in the discord when this episode drops as well so everybody can enjoy
3: charling breaks to the wall and leads them all to the garage where they steal razor fist's custom car trevor and morris have taken the front seat since trevor gets sick in the back a chase ensues through the garage. Katie drives, while Shang-Chi and Shai Ling fend off their attackers in the backseat. As they escape, Wenwu watches and says they'll return when he brings their mother home. Outside the forest, we get maybe one of the worst parts of this movie, and it's about Trevor talking about Planet of the Apes, and I am...
4: <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I thought that was I hilarious.
3: <laughs> I... All right. I'm going to talk about Trevor now, because I can't hold it in. It. So... We we meet Trevor in the jail cell. Fine. We get Trevor there. Cool. We meet him. We get to redo the whole Mandarin thing. I think maybe that's kind of cool. I have gone on record and saying I hated the whole Mandarin twist in the first movie. I thought it was awful. And I didn't like Trevor in this movie either. And I kept waiting for him to stop being in the damn movie. I wanted them to do the Mandarin thing and then leave. But he just kept showing up in scenes where he was not wanted. I didn't want him to be there. He was not wanted. We could have just immediately gone to them. All right, drive into the forest. But instead we get, we get Ben Kingsley doing his best uh, weird Ben Kingsley monologue for a while. And then for the rest of the movie, he just keeps showing up in scenes that he shouldn't be in. There's the point where they get to Talo and There's this really heartwarming scene where their aunt comes, they hug, they hug, she hugs Shang-Chi, she hugs Shailin. Ling. She says, nice to to meet you, Katie. She gives her a hug. The scene should have ended there, but instead we get an extra little bit where this fool comes out of the car and is like, oh, it's just me. I'm an actor. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Shut the fuck up. Why are you here? And it, it just kept happening. Like these fun these like really well shot well constructed scenes kept having Ben Kingsley pasted on to the end of them and it was so distracting and it was awful i thought he was awful in this movie he is i i would have been very close and this might be a shock but i would have been very close to giving this movie a 10 out of 10 i like it that much if ben kingsley wasn't in this movie but he kept showing up and he kept being there and he kept doing these dumb. I kept being like, Oh, I want to hear about these interesting characters. I don't care about Ben Kingsley. And I'm going to be a hundred percent honest here. I care about these interesting characters and I care about their culture. And I care about these things that they're presenting to me. I don't care about this random man that was, a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, was supposed to be a different version of a caricature of an, like, it, it, it had. I know that during our Black Panther episode, we talked a little bit too much about um, Martin Freeman. We talked a little bit about I think, uh, I, and in Lindsay's email, I think she uh, Black brought Black it, Pan- it to our attention <laughs> that we talked maybe a little bit too much about Martin, yeah, Martin Freeman, yeah, and the Tolkien Paul white guys for as many diverse, awesome characters that are in that movie, and I think. This is a really cool character about, you know, Chinese actors and and their story and the culture that they're telling. And then we get Ben Kingsley showing up every five seconds to be like, whoo I'm Ben Kingsley. Like, get out of here, bro. Like, read the room. What are you doing?
2: Robbie tried. He got a lot of the scenes cut, but he only has so much pull at the studio, Eduardo. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. I stopped listening at Tolkien White, guys. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, y'all made the the joke on that episode, too. Um, what? Yeah, it's Tolkien White, guys. And half that episode, y'all talked about those two white men and Black Panther, and I was vibrating in anger. And I was like, absolutely not what I saw coming. Don't here. even remember that. We need to re-record that episode anyway. Yeah. Well, now yeah. we've spent half this episode talking about Ben Kingsley. So uh, To be fair, it is not I, good things about that. Ben Kingsley. I don't... You know what? Every interview with these actors, though, every one of them mentions Ben Kingsley. And how nice he was and how much they spent time with him. Well, He's like, like which cool. acting lessons with him. Right. He's like, a, <laughs> like he's a legend. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. He seems really nice I, the way they were talking about him. So I'll say that.
4: <laughs> I, I gotta say, I, I mean, I thought he was funny in this. I, but I, I liked the, you know, his character in Iron Man three as well. Uh, I expected a cameo. I didn't expect him to become a minor character. It was certainly a lot more of him than I was expecting. The Planet of the Apes thing made me laugh a lot. I can see, you know, I'm glad that he wasn't in it any more than he was. Like, it wasn't too much for me. I think if he had had a big hero moment in the final battle, that would have been too much for me. You would have hated it. Yeah, yeah. but, But him playing dead and getting Morris to play dead too, that was fine. You know, I think that was like the perfect amount for me. Uh, because, you know, we didn't need to pull focus away from, you know, the characters that were in this movie. But he was sort of the elephant in the room. So, you know, I'm glad they dealt with it. And I was surprised, but enjoyed, you know, how much more we got of him than I expected. But any more than we got would have been certainly too much. And I can see why how it might be too much for, for some people. I'm with you, Eduardo. I couldn't cut him out more.
2: So. Oh, I was just saying they couldn't cut him out more because he was the foil for Morris, which is the most important part about this movie.
3: I mean, Morris could have Mm. had a connection with any other character. Yeah, I would have liked that. He could have had Morris and not had Ben Kingsley at all. I mean, I... Right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm with you.
0: I don't think it affects my rating necessarily, but like, he ruins a lot of scenes. Like, there's just... Well, it I, ruins a lot of scenes. A, a lot of
3: a, a big part of why I don't like Ben Kingsley in this is because they introduce Ben Kingsley and they go, here's here's uh, Slattery. He is your comedic relief now. For the first half of this movie, your comedic relief has been the fun interactions between these two friends who have been friends for years. And that's where you get your comedy from these characters. And then they go, all right, we can't have them be funny anymore. Here's Ben Slattery, or er, uh, Tom Slattery. He's now your comic relief. And that is the it sort of shifts into a traditional Marvel version of comedic relief where you have a bunch of serious characters and then you have Thor who has let himself go and become you know you know the drunk in the corner right like there are serious characters and then there is the funny guy rather than these characters interacting and being funny and getting to have the personal moments. And I also think it maybe takes away a little bit of some of the the gravity. Like there's the whole like training scene where they're all like training and there's a really cool scene with Shang and his aunt where she's teaching him about sort of the their their fighting style and what it's like to be to do martial arts from there and about him discovering himself. And then it cuts to Ben Kingsley again doing like acting lessons. And it's is—it's so mind boggling that they watch this and we're like, yeah, we're cool with this. Like it is, I get that it's cool for some people, but I think it really distracts from some of the really, really, really important parts of this movie, which are about the culture that you're seeing, which are about, you know, the importance of of this representation for them to be like, look at all these really amazing scenes. Also, here's Ben Kinsley being a ding dong. Like, it just, it really detracts from the magic that they were making there. Agreed. I'm sorry, listeners. I am very upset. I don't get very upset on this podcast too often. I got, I am very upset at Ben Kingsley. I get fake upset a lot. I get fake, Is I do what I can to make Robbie upset. But uh, to actually get upset myself, it takes a lot. This made, this makes me upset. I think it makes me upset because I like this movie so much. I'm sorry. I'm I keep going on. I like this movie so much, and I want it to be the best version of itself, and the best version of itself, or with all the Ben Kingsley scenes removed. Not all of them. You can have him there in the beginning, and then remove him from then on. Like all of the extra stuff I don't need.
2: I thought the mid credit was gonna be him performing that thing he said he had prepared for their arrival, and I was waiting for that. So there was no evidence of that, Robbie, in the original. No, he was like, "Oh, you're the children. I've been performing this. I don't want to live. I've been practicing this for you." Okay, (laughs) I was waiting for that to be shoved in, and some of the credits. So they they do the whole
3: Planet of the Apes thing. And then through Trevor, Morris guides Katie through the ever-shifting trees, warning them that if they don't stay in the pocket, the forest will eat them. They arrive at a waterfall, which they do end up chasing, regardless of any advice they've been given previously, uh, which they drive through, leading them to Talo, where they see several fantastical creatures from Chinese mythology which was a really cool and another beautiful scene. We get, we keep getting just gifted all of these really gorgeous, beautiful scenes, and it's... All right, guys, just hear me out for one second. Would you rather drive in and see beautiful Talo or would you rather have a scene inside a conference room in the helicarrier?
0: Hold on. I can, like both you can like both. i would rather see i would rather see beautiful talo the helicarrier is still cool so is talo
2: talo is clearly the place i'd want to be the most in all the marvel oh i don't universes. want to personally maybe be on in the helicarrier. most movies
1: <laughs> yeah
2: i want to be there yeah. i was hyped yeah, i agree with that with all the pokemon i'm there let's go I saw something about Kevin Feige saying he was not expecting audiences to relate those creatures to Pokemon, and that was one of the shocking things in the in the test screenings, because they're you know from various Chinese lore, as are uh, Pokemon. I mean, I know Pokemon is Japanese, yeah. but it draws from that.
4: I mean, if you're going to put a nine-tailed fox on, on the screen, I'm going to think of nine-tails. Mm-hmm. Just...
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to think of the fox in Majora's Mask that asks you questions.
3: <laughs> you would. Outside the village, the villagers gather to meet the new arrivals. shang and Ling step out and introduce themselves as Yingli's children. A male elder, Guangbo, tells them to leave, but a woman steps out and tells the villagers to stand down. She introduces herself as their Auntie Nan and welcomes them all, saying she uh, she's longed to meet them. I don't know about you guys, but around this point, I looked at the time, because I had paused the movie. I had to, I was watching Raph at the time, um, as I do with most of my days. Uh, I paused the movie because he needed attention, because he normally does, because he's a child. And uh, I looked and only an hour and 20 minutes had passed by and there was still an hour of the movie left from this point and it like flies from this point on it's insane the third act of this movie is just nonstop. like like it it, it flies through this last section of the movie and I didn't remember that from my first watch my first watch was like equal parts of the introduction and then the middle part with his dad and then the last part in the in Talo with the big fight. I didn't realize that we spent so much time there and I, I, I thought it was an interesting uh, realization. Nan says that the presence of Talo are from another advanced, the people of Talo, excuse me, are from another advanced dimension and they protect the world from a great evil called the Dweller in Darkness, which is held behind a gate in the mountain. The Great Protector helped them lock the Dweller and its army behind the gate but that the Dweller longs to escape so that it and its army can devour souls. Many have attempted to free them, having been led to believe that someone they love lies beyond the gate. Knowing the Ten Rings have the power to free them, the Dweller in Darkness is now using Wenwu. As Katie is sent to the range to train an archery under Guangbo, Nan presents the siblings with a gift from their mother, dragon-scale armor and weapons. Nan explains that unlike in the house of Ling's father, in Talo, men and women train as equals. Ling begins training with a dragon-scale rope dart, while Shang-Chi asks Nan to train him to fight as his mother did, as she was the only one who could beat Wenwu. shang Shangxi struggles, but Nan tells him he is a product of all who came before him, both good and bad. She tells him to stop hiding, as that only prolongs the pain. At his compound, Wenwu continues his study. Razor Fist tells him the men are ready, and when Wu confirms, the passage to Ta Lo opens at dawn. In Ta Lo, Shang Chi remembers his mother's training—his mother training him in her martial arts, telling him he must face both light and dark. Suddenly, men calling themselves the Iron Gang come, telling Ying Li that her husband owes a debt. She tells them he is not the man he once was, but they insist someone must pay. She sends her children away so she can handle it. Shang-Chi worries because she, is no longer, she no longer has her powers, having been cut off from them after leaving Talo. Ying Li faces the Iron Gang, and Shang-Chi watches as more men arrive. A fight breaks out. We then cut to afterward when Wenwu arrives home to seeing Shang-Chi crying over his mother's body. Wenwu laments that she thought he could leave his past behind. She was wrong. For the first time in years, he puts on the Ten Rings, saying that if he hadn't taken them off, he could have saved her. Wu then takes Shang-Chi to a club where the Iron Gang is gathered, and using the Yang's power, slaughters them all. Wu tells his son that a blood debt must be paid in blood, and asks him to help with this. It is revealed that the mission Wu sent his son on years later was to kill the leader of the Iron Gang, and that when he returns, Shang-Chi will rule at his father's side.
2: Do they in the movie mention the phrase Iron Gang, or is this another thing that you guys know the name of? from some other
4: source no the the when the guy shows up at the um at the compound in that flashback he says they're from the iron gang yeah uh it looks like th- from what i can tell that's not from the comics or anything okay. that was so it was mentioned in the movie, i just if i it. had to <laughs> yeah i'm actually wondering <laughs> if they called it the iron gang just so that the mcu mandarin could have an iron arch enemy even if it's not Iron Man.
3: In the present, Shang-Chi admits to Katie that he did in fact finish his mission, killing the man who murdered his mother, and this is why he changed his name to start over. He fears that his mother would hate what he has become. Katie counters that his father trained him to be an assassin and sent him on a hit at 14, which is messed up. Shang-Chi says that his mother is dead because of Wenwu, recalling his words that a blood debt must be paid in blood, and vows to kill him. I didn't know... Aquafina had those. She it was fantastic in this scene. There's a lot of wordless, just like facial expressions that she's giving as he's like telling her this whole story, and I was like, God damn, Aquafina, go off. Like she was fantastic in this. Not that Simulu wasn't, yes. but
2: she is an amazing actress, and I see a lot of like pushback and Really, social media maybe about her really? <laughs> about well I'm not going to go off on one topic because it is not my place to go on to uh, But I think I know what you're talking about but though. no she's done a lot of work and she's very very good and I call her Nora uh, because I did in fact attend a zoom live with her in which Bob Iger told me to address her as such oh. and then he could not stop saying Aquafina, so he had a lot of trouble Calling her by her <laughs> name, but Nora and I we go, it's way better.
0: <laughs> I think this is the only thing I've ever seen her in, and I thought she was amazing. I didn't know there was, I, I other than like comedy videos, but.
2: she's often of this comedy character, like she's she's played for laughs the most times, but you can tell there's a lot of acting chops there,
0: yes, definitely.
4: I after seeing this movie, I've been hoping that Star Wars will get her to play Dr. Afra if they ever decide to bring that character into the live action, because I think she would be great at it. For those of you who haven't read the Star Wars comics, Dr. Afra is like a reverse Indiana Jones, and she's great. She's like one of the best new Star Wars characters since Disney took over. Chris, you're a genius. Thanks.
3: The next day, the Ten Rings arrive at Ta and the village prepares for war, though Guangbo tells Katie she is not ready to join the archers. Wu asks his children if they are there to help the people holding their mother captive. Yingnan counters that he is mistaken and that she also misses her sister, but this is not how to honor, this is not how to honor her. Wu counters that they should not have turned her away. Guangbo angrily shouts that they turned Wenwu away, not her, and that the sins of his past would have destroyed Talu. Talu, excuse me. And then Wenwu, like a fucking G, tells this young man to watch what he says, as Wenwu has lived ten of his life. I, I was love like, oh, that. Oh shit! He said, "You better, you better watch your tone, young man." I was like, "Oh my god." And we can take a moment to talk about him, but when Wu in this movie, Tony Tony Lang Lung, I I i feel,
1: Leung,
3: I believe
4: it's Leung. Leung I think Leung, is yeah.
3: Yeah. He has just a certain presence. He uh, there. I mean, he's revered as an actor for for good reason. But something about just when he is on screen, you just he, you're you're captivated by him. At least I was. While I was watching this movie, every time he was on screen, it just he had this sort of he he he's. It's not that he's not very expressive, but I don't think he is. He's meant to be a very like, uh, you know, very expressive character. He's meant to be sort of stoic and in grief, and you know, uh, trying really hard to find this love loving person. And I think he was the 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 unsung star of this movie. I think he does wonders with what he is given with this character
4: yeah it's an understated performance that still you can't take your eyes off of which makes especially in the third act as he starts to imbue his performance with even more emotion and and heartbreak like that makes it all the more effective i think
3: so the battle begins and as shiling fights razor fist her love Shang-Chi fights, uh, finds Wenwu praying at the shrine dedicated to Yingli. He tells his father that he isn't afraid of him, but Wenwu says he is, and they begin to fight. Wenwu shouts that Shang-Chi stood and watched as his mother died, while Shang-Chi berates his father for choosing the rings over his own children. Using the force of the rings, Wenwu knocks Shang-Chi into the lake. Wenwu looks at the gate on the mountain and hears Yingli's voice calling for help who begins using the rings to destroy the gate. A small hole forms, and bat-like creatures begin to fly from it. I wouldn't even call them bat-like creatures. I would call them little tiny Cthulhus. Uh, in the village, the yeah. creatures begin stealing souls to bring to the Dweller in darkness. Seeing that only Talos' dragon-scale weapons are effective against them, the Ten Rings agree to join forces with the villagers. Razor Fist upgrades his Razor Fist, and Katie grabs a bow and arrow to help save her friends. In the water, an unconscious Shang-Chi remembers his mother telling him that their family needs him. He awakens as an air bubble reaches him, and he comes face to face with the Great Protector. The dragon flies out of the water with Shang-Chi, riding her like Falcor from The NeverEnding Story, and it begins destroying the bad creatures. I have heard some criticisms about this movie about the ending right here because it sort of derails from the hand-to-hand combat of most of the movie prior and I think the the criticism is that it's a big CGI battle and that it's, you know, whatever. Whoever says that clearly is wrong because this shit slaps. Clearly. Yes. <laughs> it is.
0: it is yeah. so
4: cool. Look,
0: this is like the most fancy movie I am, in the MCU, and it, it's great for it's that. Like a, and it has the cool marks. It's arts. like a Marvel-Kaiju fight.
3: Yeah!
4: Yeah. I am very partial to giant monsters duking it out, you know? So, like, I was all about this. I think every movie should have dragons. I don't care if it makes sense or not. I think dragons are the greatest mythological Did you see creatures. the
3: Irishman? Yeah, it was really weird when that dragon popped up. <laughs>
4: <laughs> i don't know why they why they gave it to nero's voice do but... oh. <laughs> you only put it in like mafia movies <laughs> the many saints of newark it turns out one of those saints was saint george um anyway um no but yeah it, it was very cool um I like giant monsters fighting each other always and I think leaning into some of the I mean I don't know if the dweller in darkness has any mythological uh analogs but all the other creatures in uh in Talo do uh and of course the dragon uh the dragon which happens to look much like the dragons in Zelda Breath of the Wild but of course that's because it was drawing on you know the asian dragon uh mythology there anyway you know similar source material going on but yeah no that was great i loved it also i want to say the music in this scene what i thought was really interesting and something i really liked about it was that it didn't go for the bombastic uh, you know like superhero grand finale kind of score it was much quieter Uh, You know, using a lot of traditional Chinese instruments and and an orchestration. And I thought that made it feel very different from other climactic battles in a very good way for me.
3: Yeah, I just think dragons are cool, man. That's all. And when, like, my face, when he is in the water... And you see like rippling start to come up, and then he's just in front of a giant dragon face, bro. I was so hype. I was like jumping out of my chair. So hype. I was. I couldn't believe what what I was. It was insane. And then a giant dragon pops out. Also, I didn't even mention that Simulu's outfit before this, when he has the jacket on that is orange with the blue sleeves, is a Dragon Ball Z reference. Like, they're just hitting me with everything possible. Like, they just know.
0: And I feel like I saw something about that was his choice. Like, that was what he wanted to oh, wear so in those scenes. He had some control over his uh, wardrobe. So cool. Killmonger just like, who looks uh, just like Vision like like like
1: Dragon Ball Z. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. you know that at times it feels like they in the mcu they give and maybe it's more more in other films than i i realize they give the actors a little bit of ability to put themselves in the character in ways that include wardrobe and visual and and and
3: I think that's interesting. Well eventually in that what if episode, Killmonger says he's a big anime fan, which is not mm-hmm. from the comics, but it's basically mm-hmm. just Michael B. Jordan being like, mm-hmm. I'm a big anime fan.
4: I wish they hadn't shown that shot of him in the water of the dragon in the trailer. Everyone talked about them spoiling Abomination, fighting Wong. I thought that was a bigger thing that I wish I had seen for the first time. I hate in that, the that film. was in the trailer. I
3: hate that that was the yeah, trailer. That, I mean, if it makes you feel better, I didn't remember yeah. it from the trailer. So
2: it was cool for me. I don't know why that
3: would make you well, feel better. Well, and I already it knew about cool it. It was cool
2: for me. I mean, I've never seen a trailer for any of these films. Oh. So it was great. <laughs> so we shouldn't talk about
3: this, the Spider Man No Way Home trailer.
0: No, we should. We just need to get this
3: podcast. Yeah. Didn't time. y'all
2: talk about it for like three hours? There's another before. trailer that just came I feel out like There's another whole... Oh, okay. I'm I'm yeah. excited for you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Ying tells Shang-Chi that he must stop his father, and the dragon flies him into the gate, where he interrupts Wenwu's attempts to destroy the gates. Using his mother's fighting style, he fights Wenwu as she did so many years ago. By doing so, he's able to take control of his father's rings. Instead of attacking, though, he throws the rings to the ground. I think it's really cool how the rings just sort of float around him rather than being on his wrists. I don't know the imagery or what that's supposed to represent there, I just thought it looked really cool. Wenwu says they have to save his wife, but Shang-Chi says he wishes that were true. Wenwu hears Li's voice, but the gate crumbles and the massive dweller in darkness emerges. Wenwu tries to use the rings to save Shang-Chi, but the Dweller in Darkness grabs Wu and absorbs his soul as Shang-Chi watches in horror. With his last breaths, Wenwu sends the rings to his son. I feel like we haven't talked about the rings enough because they're really interesting and they're like practical application in this movie. They kept doing things with the rings that I didn't know they could do. There is a point where shang chi is doing the last like big strike and he is throwing rings out and then using them as steps to climb higher and i was like oh shit like my man's going in like he Mm -hmm. like they just kept throwing new uses for these like rings and i kept being more and more surprised and like wow that's like really innovative it didn't feel like it didn't feel like they were just, like, one note, right? Like, they could have been very... They could have just been, like, blasters, right? Where he just blasts energy over and over again. But they kept finding new and interesting ways to mm-hmm. use them, and I thought that was really uh, smart.
4: I liked when uh, when we used them to, like, launch himself into the air. Like, yeah. rocket launch sort of thing.
3: The Great Protector begins the battle, the Dweller in Darkness, over the lake. Ling, riding the Great Dragon, rescues Shang-Chi and sees her father's lifeless body. The Great Protector attempts to drown the monster, but the creature's minions bring its souls to strengthen it. It escapes and begins to suck out the Great Protector's soul. Guangbo says that the monster must be stopped before Akadi watches him get killed by one of the creatures. With the dragon weakening, Ling is trapped by the Dweller's Tendrils. Ugh. Shang-Chi grabs her, but she says he should let her go. He replies he won't leave her again when Katie lets an arrow fly that pierces the Dweller in darkness' skin. It loosens its grip on both the dragon and Shilin. With the creature weakened, Shang-Chi is able to harness the power of the Ten Rings to obliterate the monster, ending the threat. The Great Protector grabs Shang-Chi out of the air and returns him to their village, where he hugs Katie. That night, the surviving villagers and Ten Rings members mourn those lost in the battle. Back in the restaurant from the beginning of the movie, Shang-Chi and Katie tell John and Sue about their adventures when a portal opens behind them. Wong steps through and tells Shang-Chi and Katie that they have a lot to talk about. Katie and Shang-Chi step through the portal while John and Sue... Flabbergasted. I didn't talk about it enough, and Chris, I think, mentioned a little bit about that last scene. But the score in this movie is great. There are a lot of points here where the songs just like absolutely slap. Like there are a lot of bangers in this movie, and then they add in some of that really uh, beautiful traditional like Chinese instrument music. And I think it's a really fun um, sort of mirror like uh, marriage of the two. They kind of weave it through um i mean i think it has a a score that is uh one could say could run i think black panther still has the best like soundtrack but i think this you could say this is like up there with some of the better soundtracks of the mcu i wouldn't say it's better than black panthers i think black panther as far as soundtrack goes is the tippity top um but i think this is this is up there In a mid-credits scene, Wong, Shang-Chi, and Katie have a hollow conference with Carol Danvers and Bruce Banner, still in a sling from Endgame, but in human form. None of them have any idea where the rings came from, as they do not match any artifacts or alien tech they recognize. Bruce says that while Wenwu had the rings for a thousand years, they are much older even than that. Wong says the first time Shang-Chi used them, they felt it in Carmetage, and that the rings seem to be acting as a beacon sending a message though to what they are not sure. Carol abruptly has to go, telling them they can get her number from Bruce. Bruce admits he doesn't actually have her number and welcomes them to the circus. Wong says their lives are about to change forever and that they should go home and get some rest. Shang-Chi and Katie have another idea, though, and we cut to the three of them singing Hotel California at a karaoke bar. What is happening? so team. what they're doing is they're There's like a screen, and then it is listing off the lyrics to Hotel California, okay, and they are singing the lyrics along with
0: That's the music. That's not something I do. So yeah. catch me singing when I'm done. <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh, what, what are you confused about, What are the I've rings? I've been very excited.
0: What, what, what are the rings sending out? What's happening? That, okay, that's cool. a good question. As long as we're um, all confused.
4: They could be. Yeah. They could be perhaps uh, reaching out to the McLuhan's if they want to keep that that aspect of the mythology from the comics. Um, but they've changed so much that, I mean, they certainly don't need to. I mean, the question is would they do a giant dragon named Fin Fang Foom? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, in, uh, no spoilers here. Um, but in the Eternals, we do see some technology that looks it's small and ring shaped and they they're shaped a lot like the ten rings and i don't know if that's if we're supposed to make a connection there that perhaps these rings are celestial technology or something uh so that's a possibility as well uh but yeah we don't know but i do think it's fun seeing that the Mm -hmm. avengers and Captain Marvel and Wong are all in like close contact.
0: So my other questions. First off, you mentioned Fing Fing Foom. Didn't Guy Pierce already play him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, well,
4: they never. Yeah, I had to like. It
0: was a fire. He was a. No, fire he said
4: he. He said he was uh, the Mandarin.
0: So they combined them both. They combined the Mandarin and fin, Fing Fing yeah. Foom in Guy Pierce. It's very accurate.
4: It's um, all, yeah, um. There is a billboard in the first Iron Man that you can barely see that says "Fin it. Fang Foom" on it, um, but that's the kind of thing you can just ignore yes. because who cares? You gotta I, ex- there is explain
2: this to everyone who's listening. Giant to dragon America, talking about like,
4: giant. He's a giant know. alien dragon. The guy, guy wears Pierce. Oh,
0: so there was a Situation. there was talk when Iron Man three came out. There was talk that Guy Pierce was this universe's take on Fin Fang Foom because he starts breathing fire at the end of the movie and has a dragon tattoo.
2: I think I've blocked out the concept of Guy Pierce being He's in the, that film. Yeah, that's fine. Isn't he the, you're, uh, you're okay. The main villain? Yeah. <laughs> Self-protecting over here. Yeah, he was the
0: main villain, yes. Yeah.
2: Uh, I mean, I Iron Man 3, I know with I disliked. You not remembering Iron Man 3. <laughs> yeah. My- <laughs> It wasn't that long ago that I watched it. Um, but the implication of them talking about we felt when you use the rings in Carmitage is that they had not been feeling the rings for a thousand years when it was bad mm-hmm. being used for evil and it was blue and then it switched hands and it goes gold, which spoilies matches colors of things in other films. And then they Ooh, felt it mm-hmm. and that alerted them to come. I don't feel like they've been monitoring the ring usage, but weren't going to approach, you know, Wang Wu when he's being bad. Like they're like, we don't want to go near this bad guy with this technology. But you shook us when you use them for good, over in Carmitage. Yeah, that's interesting. That is.
0: I like that. Thank you. And also, huh? Is the implication here that Bruce Banner just goes back and forth now when he feels like it?
4: Yeah, that, that was that's a big question that I think we'll have an answer to yeah. when She Hulk comes out. Um, but that was certainly a thing. So this is oh, it's Bruce Banner. Right. Well,
3: it also shows the state of the Avengers, right? It's Bruce Banner, mm-hmm. it's uh, Carol Danvers and Wong and by extension Doctor Strange, I guess, right? But that's it. Yeah. There ain't I nobody say- else left. I mean, you've got Scott Lang off doing something, he's gonna be in Quantum Mania. Um, But as far as the original Avengers go, they're Uh like kind of chopped and screwed up in in a bunch of different ways. I think we've all wondered what they're going to do because like...
4: Thor's off with the Guardians.
3: You you kind of wonder where they're taking the future because you know that they are going to do another big team up eventually, right? Like they can't help themselves. Mm -hmm. They see dollar signs in their eyes and they go, we need to put these characters together because... Avengers did Gangbusters, and we need we like money, and so it's clear that they are going to put these characters again. I'm interested to see how that looks and which characters are going to be the new like faces. Like, which are they going to be the new important characters of the Mm -hmm. MCU? I I wonder um, because I think originally, unfortunately, the the plan was to have Black Panther be sort of the new face of the mcu i think he was like a smash hit character that people really loved and i think that's where they were sort of positioning that character uh, eventually and i think obviously things changed with the passing of chadwick boseman and i think they are reassessing how they're going to see the mcu moving forward so i'm really interested to see one the role shang chi plays especially after how successful this movie was and two the kind of cast they put around him now because i think this is a different mcu than the mcu that we originally got i think they are much more culturally conscious now i think they are much more conscious of women i'm not saying that they're doing a great job but they are definitely a lot more conscious of women in the mcu and giving them proper roles um, so I'm interested to, see, interested to see what this sort of Avengers 2.0 looks like because it's clear that they're going to start heading in that direction
2: are they going to get rid of all white men because I'm here I mean, for it
3: it almost feels like that's where they're headed <laughs> very very <laughs> interested
2: I mean you're not going to have me on for Eternals but I could go off on that film Um, you... <laughs> this is me on a film I
1: love <laughs> Uh,
2: I did want to mention when we were talking back um, when Shang-Chi was in the water and hearing his mother's voice and then seeing the Great Protector uh, for the first time is her quote what she told him is you are the product of all who came before you and then right after that he kind of assumes the magic of his family from Talo, and then battles his father and assumes the magic of his father's ten rings like he absorbed both sides of his family's powers in a way that, I don't know that that's why they fell him in Karmatash or whatever, but it was a very interesting direct thing that oh, yeah. the mother wasn't just talking about Talo's side, but he is all of it. So I thought that was one of the symbolic things. I was like, oh, I, I think <laughs> this is coming, but without beating you over the head. <laughs>
4: One other fun thing about this credit scene is with Captain Marvel making an appearance, Brie Larson has been in, I think, all but two of this director's movies now. When they were talking about what characters they wanted to bring in, he said that, you know, that decision actually happens at higher levels because of, like, they have to think about, okay, when is this coming out? What characters would make sense? And she does make sense as a character to bring in as, like, the alien technology expert. But he said he was really hoping they could get her just because, you know, like, they have such a long working relationship. So that's fun.
3: In the post credit scene, we see Shia Ling back in her room at the compound, looking through her things, including a drawing of her mother. Razor Fist enters and tells her, sweetheart, they're waiting. Alright, he doesn't say that. She sits at her father's throne, flanked by John John and Razor Fist, and says, let's begin. As the camera pans out, we see the compound is now decorated just as her fight club was, and men and women now train as equals. A title card tells us the Ten Rings will return. So, are we thinking she could be a villain in the future? Does she just mean she's gonna have, like, a pot? Like, what does this mean?
2: Auntie here? Oh, she is the bad guy. Oh, uh, anti-hero. Okay, I'll take that. I mean, she's a bad to the bone, and her mom knew it, because her mom asked her sister, her aunt, to leave some dragon scale costumes. And they gave Shang-Chi red to match the whole village of Taolo, and they're like, you, Xiaoling, you get white. You're different. There's a whole scene of the whole village, and you are not one of us, which is just how she was treated her whole time. Um, maybe not growing up before the mother died, but certainly after the mother died. And there was many quotes throughout, not just the training montage, uh, where we saw she was excluded from training and had to teach herself and taught herself better, but when, I'm gonna go off on this whole, whole thread, her father... (laughs) Cared about her at all, or bringing her back. Yes, he needed the the dragon eye gem that she was wearing, but truly just used her location to lure Shang Chi back to Macau, so it's more convenient. Because the father is nothing if not lazy, sending henchmen to train his son and go after him in America and everything else. The Wenwu has rings, but doesn't feel like using them and just wants to sit and glare out windows at all time, at all his minions doing work. There's lots of moody window looking. But they come, he gets his children and Macau, comes back to the compound, and it's like, my son is home! <laughs> really loud. No one cares about Shaling being there. And then immediately, um, Katie is asking Shaolin about, you know, this intimidating father situation. And... <laughs> She responds, Nod, nah, don't talk. He'll forget you're there. Uh, this is like a super villain in the making. Like, her dad was bad. Watch out. Because she's going to defy him by having more power than he ever had. And that mom saw it coming. They got, she got a white outfit. By the way, both their outfits are dragon scale shirts. And then they just got dress pants on. Black dress pants. On. My sister didn't want me to pull that out. That what a costume some black pants so but anyway yeah she's is, she's is bad
3: uh, well and the costume sort of looks like his valet costume like it's just like an upgraded version of his valet yes. uniform
1: yeah yeah <laughs> I
3: don't know. I think, uh, I mean, we're definitely going to see Shiling again. I think she's integral to Shang-Chi's story. I think if they start going into the comic route, I think they'll, she's going to play a, probably a, a pretty big role. Um, I am really interested. I would like them to maybe not go the comic route. I want them to just keep doing original stuff with these characters and just make it fun and interesting and different because it seems like they were very successful this time, and I think I would wager that they would be very successful once again not being hamstrung by some of the MCU's uh, uh, comic constraints.
0: In this case, we agree.
3: So we'll start with MVPs. Uh, It'll come as no shock to anyone, because I said it earlier. uh, I don't know if I said it exactly, but my MVP and Chris, we can go together since... It's the same MVP, but it's Wenwu yeah. or, um, or uh, uh, Chris. How about you start? Since I've already gone off on why I enjoy him so much in this movie. Oh,
4: I, I mean, I I kind of said you know my thoughts earlier too. Just that there is a presence and a gravitas that he has that you notice when he's on screen and. I know, he, he's to portray this man who is, you know, a thousand years old. and at, And he portrays him at different points in his life, too, which I think is very interesting. So you see through the flashbacks, you see a lot of different sides to him. And he's able to, even with, again, such an understated performance, he brings a lot of shading to it, a lot of depth. And it's just you know it, it, it's it's a performance that that really stuck with me after seeing the movie.
0: Robbie, what about you? Y'all are definitely correct. Like completely agree on how great when was, but my uh when, my MVP is Katie uh, Aquafina. She I just felt was really funny. She was compelling in every sequence she was in. I think she was great at being at, and in a way, Shang Chi himself was as well, but kind of being the um, uh, the the words escaping me, Chris. But the narrative device where she is yes, she's audience the audience surrogate it. in the story. Um, the the she's the the comic relief in a way, but she's also the the every woman who is experiencing this supernatural story, uh, and is hilarious while she's doing it. Uh, is I think in a lot of ways the heart of the film. We talked about how fantastic she was even without saying a word at her acting and i thought that was incredible and then she gets a really cool moment in the when she is forcing herself through this bow training so that she's ready for the final battle and then strikes the uh the shot that makes kind of everything work and she just thought she was entertaining i want to see aquafine in more things because i had seen her say some jokes on YouTube and they were entertaining, but this made me really just, I am into this actress now and I, she's my MVP. How about you, Lindsay?
2: Um, before I get to M- MVP, I do want to shout out this movie. One is amazing. We're going to get to our scores in a minute, but I do want to shout out the amazing breadth of female characters and how they were developed and performed yeah. i mean michelle yeo just as aunt Yingnan, like i was captivated in a little bit she was on screen though i don't like flirt dancing um uh lee ying lee uh played by Fala shen she was great as was moon zhang who was the sister Xiaoling and Aquafina, and they were all great. None of them felt underserved um, here, and their performances really stood out. That said, my MVP is the Morris Puppeteer Uh TikTok <laughs> to follow, because when Morris came on screen, I just lit up like firecrackers. I was so excited, and I was like, I already like this movie, but now I'm getting cute characters great sold absolutely sold well love morris and then because of the tiktok love the puppeteer who's bringing morris to life i'm here for it and then on the rewatch i noticed in win Woo's books about studying Tao Lo, at the beginning you see an illustration of morris on the open page so that's not something that i would have noticed on the first time but it really stood out in the second time and i'm very much here for it and if i was someone who bought things like plush i would have a morris plush which they did produce so how
3: about ratings uh we can do how this fits in the mcu but like i don't i don't know i don't even know if that makes sense anymore because like it just is right right like it
4: yeah Yeah. well you just kind of speculate a little bit about where it might be going and we already kind of did that the rings are kind of the big mm-hmm. MacGuffin, but as as we've seen, you know, the the Avengers have sort of welcomed Shang-Chi and Katie sort of into their you club know, as it were.
0: What else?
3: But oh. to be a hundred percent honest, I hope by the next Shang-Chi movie that they take the rings away. I think while the rings are cool for some fight scenes, I think the hand to hand combat in this movie is compelling enough to where that is what I want to see out of these movies. And I don't want to see too much of big bombastic 10 ring style stuff. I would much rather see a more
1: Mm
3: -hmm. hand to hand grounded type of Kung Fu type movie. So I hope maybe for like the team up movie, he has the rings to kind of be on everybody else's level. And then eventually, you know, he goes back to to, to the hand-to-hand combat. Robbie, what were you going to say?
0: Oh, I was just going to say for how it fits, I agree with you real quick, but also how it fits in the MCU is not, what I'm thinking about is not its narrative function in the MCU, but more of its style function in the MCU. It is a very different film from a lot of the MCU. It is, again, it's like a fairy tale fantasy movie and it's fantastic i love it for that and it is a a different style from a lot of the films and i Mm -hmm. think that's part of its strength so it fits it fits in a way in that it does not fit the formula but also does not feel out of place and that's an amazing to me that's an amazing effort all right ratings
3: robbie what are you gonna rate shang chi
0: you will be shocked given how we've talked about it on this podcast, but I rate it very highly. I am giving chang nine canceled love stories out of 10. Uh, how about you, Chris?
4: I am going to give it nine monkeys acting like they're riding horses out of 10. Uh, Eduardo.
3: <laughs> I give it nine Gina, who is also Gina out of 10. Lindsay, what about you?
1: Yeah.
2: In the course of this, um, I did up my score, and despite everything I've been talking, it's easier to talk about negative things in a movie for a podcast than to give it just praise for two hours. Um, I'm giving it 10 underestimated female characters who justifiably go bad out of 10. Like, it's amazing. I would walk out and rewatch it right now, and I don't rewatch these movies. Oh. Like, I saw it, like, a day ago. So it was playing in my living room when we started this, and I was like, "Oh, I don't have time to stop and join this watch. I gotta go talk about this movie." And everything I said was truly—I was picking nits. Like it's great. Yeah, I, I want to go it.
3: watch it after we are done here. Like I want to go <laughs> and just sit and watch it again. What uh, about rankings, Lindsay? We'll start with you. How does this fall into your your overall MC rankings? <sighs>
2: Um, it shot up right in the top five. Honestly, it could be along with my number ones. I did not retouch my rankings, so I left my rankings as the email that I sent a couple months ago when I just finished the original 23 and then really quickly added in uh, Black Widow and Shang-Chi, and I think I would probably put this even higher than where I did, but I put it in number four, which is, um pretty high but it it really could be with the rest of the three that i have at number one i'd rewatch it today which is my number one ranking criteria
0: robbie what about you uh first off having looked at my rankings for like the first time in a while i feel the great desire one of these days to revisit them um Mm -hmm. but i moved one movie but uh just for the future that said, way back when we first did th- when we first did this podcast, we gave our top five, and I discussed at the time that this is also my top tier of films. And so what I'm going to say is Shang-Chi has also entered my top tier. It has entered that very upper echelon that we originally discussed all the way back when we uh, first thought this podcast. Now, one of these, I might dump out of the top tier if we revisit our rankings because it has not aged as well for me. And that's Winter Soldier uh, but my top rankings are Infinity War, Endgame, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Avengers, Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy and now, Shang-Chi belongs in that same group. I, it's, so it's I guess that's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. I guess that's 7th but those are a lot of them are interchangeable there. How about you Eduardo?
3: I'm like looking at this and I'm debating moving it up. Like I like it. Mm, I same. Keep- same. I, going, I actually think I like this more than this. I actually think I liked it. Yeah. I think. Oh, this is gonna be. I think this is it. I think this is the. I think this is actually what I think. And I, I, I can't That's solid. <laughs> I think it hits number two for me. I think it is my number two favorite Marvel movie, yeah. just past Black Panther. I've got Black Panther as number one because it's just my absolute favorite. But Shang Chi is like right there, as far as. I think I could just sit and watch this movie all the time. Like I I just really enjoy my time sitting and watching it. It's beautiful. It's got a lot of really interesting characters. The characters feel relatable. I think it's just, I think it fires on all cylinders. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. Chris, what about you?
4: Well, I'm going to need to watch it again because I watched it last night. It's only the second time I've seen it and I was taking notes and trying to get a summary down while watching it, so I was, like, half-watching. Um, but even with that, it has entered my top ten. Um, I've got it at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Number eight, right between Black Panther and Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, so, I mean, that's esteemed company mm-hmm. right there. Um, and if I watch it again, I might bump it up. I, Like everyone else, I do just kind of feel like my rankings are wrong (laughs) (laughs) so it's like oh some of these things need to move around i don't know um but 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 yeah i i would call this an upper tier uh marvel
0: and i want to say real quick before we go outro like this has made me incredibly happy and i i've mentioned to a few of this this to a few of you offline you know i got the the chance to see this movie And then ended up thinking, wow, this might be incredible if they actually clean it up. And they did. And then the reviews start rolling in. People start talking about it. And it was, for me, just like on a weird personal level, just really exciting months later to see everyone talking about, oh, I loved this. Like, it just made me so happy. And then this podcast just brought that to another level. Everyone having it near the top of their rankings, giving it a great rating. It's just, just makes me really happy that I almost, I wasn't able to share it. But I felt like I was going out on a limb sitting there in the theater and watching these PS1 graphics thinking, oh, this, this might be something special. And then having a bunch of people now agree that it's special just gives me so much joy.
3: Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Assembly Required at MC Retrospective. Lindsay, thank you so much for being on and being here with us. Thank,
1: thank you. you, Lindsay. Yeah.
2: Yes, it was truly a delight Ah, thank you very much. If you
3: want to support the show, you can do so over at Patreon.com/slash/AssemblyRequired. Huge, huge shout-outs to our Avengers-level patrons Brian, Riley, and Adrian. If you'd like to email the show, it's going to be at requiredcast at Gmail.com. You can follow the show at AssemblyCast. Follow all of us individually on Twitter at the underscore Peaches for Peaches, sex 2010 for Chris, PhilGood3 for Robbie uh lindsey would you like your twitter plugged
2: uh, yeah absolutely no, okay. that's
3: not. what i assumed no that's no, what i assumed you. so i didn't <laughs> all right uh that's gonna do it for myself for lindsey for chris for ravi we love you 3000 bye everybody
4: excelsior Hail Hydra.
2: words
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: you were right i'm not spider-man <laughs>
1: I'm Shang-Chi, bitch! Yeah. So win here, so stick around. We'll